What's going on everybody? I'm Kevin from Cigar Prop and each and every week we come to you live on the I Tap That Cigar Show on our YouTube channel. We interview someone fun and exciting in the cigar world and then about a week later we upload that audio to various podcasting platforms. That's what you're listening to now. We try and cut out a lot of the stuff that won't make sense because you're listening to it instead of watching it. But if something doesn't make sense and you want to watch it, in the description is the link that will take you to our YouTube so you can watch the interview instead of listening to it. But if you want to continue listening to it, thank you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So, waiting patiently in the El Americano green room is two men that need no introduction, Jeff Borshowitz of Corona Cigar and Steve Saka of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Guys, welcome back to the show. Good Hello, Kevin. Hello, Care. Hello, Steve. Hey, everyone. By the way, I did not pay for the El Americano Lounge, and I'm yeah. not paying for it, just so we're clear on this. <laughs> yeah, yes. Did yes. not ask for that. <laughs> yes. So, but uh, but yes, yeah, so, so, somebody else paid for the lounge. Uh, luckily, Je Jeff pays for the majority. Look at these beautiful signs. Jeff, Jeff. <laughs> you know, he got the naming right, so he, you know, so. Uh, so this is this is a, a momentous occasion. This is the first time you guys have ever been a, on a live together. How is that possible? Is that? I think that's true, Jeff. Is it not? Yeah, it's very true. We, we so uh, we'll divide up the. Well, Steve, you can f speak first, and I'll fill in. How's that? Oh yeah, sure. I think Kira's right. He's not going to get many words into it. No, I'm, yeah, I've, in I've, accepted, I've accepted that a long time ago, Steve. It's okay. <laughs> he said that before we started. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, well, we'll start off. I like said, so, I mean, it's not like you guys uh, have just met. How long have you guys known each other? You know, uh, where and where, how did you guys first meet? I've, I've never heard that story. It's interesting. Jeff, do you remember when we first met? I think you were working with JR Cigars back then. Yeah, but do you remember exactly when we first met? I, I remember sort of, but I, I forget an important name. It was at a dinner at the then RTDA. It was the general dinner, and we were seating with um, what was Coleman Sr. son-in-law's name? Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, that's the guy that Tanya said something about. Uh, I can't think of his name, but I know you're talking about. Man, that was a while ago. You know what? Those were great. He was important. Guys. He was an important guy. He was president yeah. of Dan, uh, General Cigar. Dan Zinger. Yes, thank you. Dan Zinger. Dan Zinger was his last name. Isn't it crazy that we can't remember this? But anyways, <laughs> it was RTBA. Jeff was at the table, and I was at the table. And look. When General does these big dinners, they have all their best customers, right? You know, the guys that spend, you know, half a million dollars or more a year with them. These are the people that sit with Coleman Sr. and Danzinger. And there was Jeff, and I was next to Jeff. And uh, we weren't even invited as a plus one, right? I didn't get the honor of a plus one. It was like, you can come. I don't know if Jeff got the extension of a plus one. And we're sitting there, and I'm at this table, and I'm like, it was like 1994. 1995 maybe 96 i don't even remember and i was kind of i just did my typical sock i think i'm like why the fuck am i at this table right because <laughs> it just didn't make any sense like why is he giving this space to me and whoever this guy is next to me i didn't know jeff at the time and he was like 
well, you two are young up and comers, and I'm just really interested in what you're doing and what you think, right? I mean, that was. Uh, I mean, where were you in 1996? Were you, were you, you were in a building at that point? No, this. So that would have been probably '98, because uh, '96 I still was. I still had the money to go to the IPCPR or PCA or RTDA, whatever it was called back then. Okay, but, so it was a little was later than that. I think it's David Danzinger. I think it was his first name. David yeah, David Danzinger. That's correct. Yeah. So, so back then, General Cigars do some great dinners, uh, and I kind of missed. That's one of the things about when you don't go to the trade show that, that uh, it's not one of those things that they monetarily put a, on the paper after the show, like, you know, how many orders did you do at the show? But those dinners that uh, Edgar Coleman Sr. did, I, I'll never forget them. So I've had uh, an experience, um, you know, throughout the my cigar career in my lifetime. This, these, these guys were very understated. Um, you know, it, it, the, the Coleman's were perhaps, the one of the most successful business families in this the premium cigar industry because they were they were involved in a lot of stuff um so when the old man the old man didn't even need cigars for his portfolio had a lot of a lot of wealth but uh you could tell the cigars were, were, are where the pride is where the fun is and uh you know somebody would joke like you're in the banking business too and it's like how how fun, how fun is that the bankers convention, right? Versus yeah. the cigar convention, right? <laughs> Seriously, you know, and people know each other by their first name and all this other stuff. And so when an old man uh, Coleman would talk, remember how, Steve, how you talk about how the rounded head on that Macanudo was so important. I mean, that was his thing. The head on a Macanudo, it's not a, per, it's not like any other cigar shape. It's just got a perfect little rounded, more of a, a, a rounded head to it. And he would go on about that. And he's like, you know, you, you know, here he is a, billionaire or whatever and he's like when i hand someone a macanudo you know i'm worried about what could go wrong with it you know is it plugged is it too loose is it burn right this so you know he's like i get all these you know this uh these this, these uh feelings the same way. I'm, apprehensive. I'm i'm hoping that cigars these guys are smoking burn right tonight because it's sucks. right it, yeah and, and, and steve, steve is picky if you hear him talking about the colita on his cigars he's so picky about uh, uh, yeah. about it you know and uh but yeah, it's a you know change. I wonder what you changed a box or something because some of them were breaking off and. Um. Yeah, well, I changed at first. Well, first when I first launched Sid Compromiso, it was unsellowed, and um, I realized pretty quick in that that was a mistake, uh, and that's kind of where I let my romance get ahead of my practicality, um, and uh, and ultimately in the end, but before I went to the cello. I had pigtails that were that kind of straight, simple Kalita. And what kept happening is they kept breaking in the boxes. So then I kept redesigning the box so that it would protect it. But no matter how I redesigned the box, still they would occasionally snap. So then I ended up saying, okay, well, let's put everything in cellophane anyways. But even in the cellophane, the problem is the Kalita holds no moisture. It gets dry. So if it just you know gets a little bump in the cellophane, it would snap. So I changed it more to that spiral bun style on the Intrepido and the Verita Magica, and, and that solves the problem. So I don't have to worry about uh, Kalita's snapping. I, look, does it affect the cigar? No. Does the cigar smoke the same? Absolutely. But look, if a customer's spending fifteen to twenty dollars for a cigar, he should get his Kalita intact, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. You, you, you want it, you want it flawless. It's like a pretty girl, right? The person, even who's going to take the dress off her, it still needs to be a nice dress. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. When you're at, when you're at that price per hour, yeah, you got to be there. So. Yeah.
So yeah, no, those little aesthetics matter. The other thing I remember about Coleman Sr., when you really got into a conversation with him, and you had to have had this conversation with him, Jeff, corn. He loved his corn farm. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. I never knew that. Oh he would God. always would he would talk about we would talk about Connecticut shade. That's the thing that he was. I mean, the guy had a lot of pride in all this, but I think what the interesting thing that Steve's bringing up, remember, we're talking about uh, imagine Manhattan and owning buildings on, you know, Park Avenue and that kind of stuff in, in banks and things like that. Um, but it, his excitement when he's talking about cigars, man, the guy would love that. And then and then the, the Connecticut shade, the Coleman's really were a big part of why Connecticut was able to remain so popular with Connecticut, Connecticut shade tobacco. They were one they were one of the last companies to really switch from Connecticut shade made in Connecticut, grown in Connecticut to Ecuador. And uh, that actually, I, I would say that if Coleman still owned the company and if Edward Coleman was still alive, he doesn't give a shit if it costs more to grow it on his farms in Connecticut. I think they would still have a farm today growing Connecticut right. shade because that's what, that's I would their agree. thing, right? And what he would do yes. is, he would take, yeah. he always had the same philosophy as me in this regard. It costs what it costs, and ultimately consumers get to decide whether it's worth the ride. You know what I mean? He was, that was the way he thought about everything. You know, it's, uh, look, it's, but it's a different world today. I mean, this is, you're talking about a company like General having one single family owned company. It was family owned and operated from the top. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not, it's a much, much different company today. You know? There, there's nobody. It's easier like to make decisions when you, when you say, oh, you know, it costs them sixty dollars a pound to grow it in Connecticut shade. Where, all right, let's get it from Ecuador for half the price. So right. when you're the owner of the company, you say, I don't care. But when you're not the owner, it's, it gets hard to justify. You know, why are we paying twice as much for that tobacco? So anyway. Yeah, yeah and then when, and when especially and then the, the the companies nowadays that get so massive, it's just getting anything done, anything done. You know, just just a, a cigar, a piece of swag. When you got 37 people in between the the consumer and and the guy at the top that that's supposed to be making a damn decision but 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 we you just wonder sometimes that do, do those even get to the top where is that bottleneck in let the me middle? say this those are the companies that are banking all the big dollars so you know, that, that, as, much, as much as we can talk about it you know yes far less romantic but if you actually talk about business their business is far healthier than us guys scrapping at the bottom, worried about the perfectly shaped head. I can tell you that. Yeah. But Steve, here's the thing. All of those companies started out small. Every big company started out as a small company. And then what happens is, is as they get larger like that and they, you know, if they get acquired or whatever, you know, the decisions do have to go through a lot more people. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Is that if Steve does something wrong, or Kevin, if you screw up your show, or, or care you say something you shouldn't say on your show, you guys, the buck stops with you, right? When you have these big companies and you're not the owner of it, but you're the guy that's employed to be in charge of it, it becomes you have to. You're constantly covering your ass because, you know, you you're you, you've got you've got an answer to a lot of people. So that's why no one ever wants to make one decision. It's like, well, it's on me. I'm falling on the sword on this one. <laughs> it's like, well, I got a team behind me. Or one of them, and this is what slows it down a lot too, is they love to hire consultants. So that way, if you're the you're the president of that company, you can say, well, I got bad advice from a consultant. And so there's a reason why those things move slowly. And uh, but at the same time, whether it's in the cigar business or any other industry, 
that is the advantage that the nimble smaller companies don't have and that's how the smaller companies later become bigger but when they get bigger they slow right down as well yeah you know i i work from my day job a mechanic i work for bridgestone um and years ago they, they had hired consultants uh, to help with the flow in the shop rearranging equipment people that that had never worked on cars people that that can't barely pump gas decided to move our equipment around and i'm like well that's dumb. Why are you moving those two pieces of equipment? You need a tire machine and a balancer side by side. They wanted to separate them by like 30 feet. Well, they, they go, well, studies have shown. Studies have shown. <laughs> you, you, you can't mount a tire without balancing it. The machines need to be side by side. Yes. And then nothing, my area manager, his man, no, nothing we could do no, because the consultants and it never made it up. And I'm like, what is going on in this world? <laughs> So, well, Kevin, here's the other reason why they have to do that, though. So if you come into a company that's actually well run and you hire the consultants, they come in, whoever hired them, if they don't come up with some changes, it's like they didn't do their job. Yeah. So sometimes they make shit up. So, for example, something as silly as that for guys that don't know about tire work, when you do the tire machine and the balancer, it's like having the skillet that makes hamburgers and the buns on two separate sides of the, of the kitchen. And so, <laughs> but you know, they don't know the difference, but it's. But if they come back with a report and said, hey, everything at this shop or this factory is perfect, and you spend a whole bunch of money with them, they're going to be saying, well, that was a big waste. <laughs> Whereas, you know what? In reality, in reality, though, it would be if I hired them, it would be better if they really said, hey, no, I think everything's right. Because yeah. then they're reaffirming that we are running efficiently. We are doing things correctly. And they really don't need to change that. So, so it. So anyway, I don't think that happens that often. Steve, I'm hired a consultant, but you worked in big companies, and I'm sure that you've you've seen that in in your career. Yes, yeah, Steve. Steve has only worked for me. He, Steve is just he's he has the perfect career. He's just he's working. He's working backwards. He started at the top, you know, and then he's wor working his way to the bottom. And I'm doing a damn fine job of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's it. Yeah, but, but Steve, to build on that, I bet you, I bet there's a hundred different things that you've dealt with as a total startup with Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, you and Cindy, that you know you had no idea these were all these things were going to be the issues you had to deal with. Yeah, but that's all of business, isn't it? I mean, you move from fire to fire, challenge to challenge. That's the, and that's the part that nobody sees or understands. They just. They just think it's cigars, but cigars are, you still have to run the business. The business has to be a business in order for there to be cigars. And uh, that's the reason why so many people ultimately aren't successful in our industry. And they don't make that leap from being buzzy hot to the next step because that's really hard. That's a tough, tough step to make that. So and look, that's an advantage of having the experience of working for Lou at JR. And then being at Drew during its, you know, massive growth years, I mean, you, you gain a lot of experience. But you are right, Jeff. There, there are things. But look, there's things now that I'm dealing with that I've never had to deal with before. So it's just the way it is. Yeah, it, it's, a, it, it's never. Please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can say right now, there won't be any Sober Mesa Brulee boxes in the month of November, December, because we can't get the paper to make the edging strips. The edging strips is an 80 gram weight paper, and there is no 80 gram pa paper in the texture that I need that works with the machines that it's printed on currently available anywhere in the globe. Okay, so here's a, here's a question for, for Karen and Cigar Prop to say. So, Kevin, would you rather have the cigar 
not on the shelf because Steve can't get 80 gram paper if he left it to the edge. Or does Steve decide that, hey, I'm not going to hold up this brand for however long because I can't put the edging of the paper on? You know, I, I, I'm buying my cigars from you, Jeff. So, so I can buy singles. I can buy five packs. I'm not, I'm not getting the box anyway. So, uh, so may, maybe if everybody knew they had to go to Jeff and they can only buy bundles without any boxes, I would be, I'd be happy. But, but I do respect that that he that he wants to hold that up. You know, that there are so many little projects that um, that I, I've never completed because yeah. I'm I'm real strict on. You know, all my stuff has to be made in the USA, and if and if I can't find a part or have it made here, I, I've had projects that have just never come to market, just because I, I I just want to be true to myself and I want it to be perfect and displayed great. So I, I understand why why the holdup. But uh, now, if we were talking about the Sober Mesa El Americano, I'd be like, screw them fucking boxes, send me the damn cigar, <laughs> you know. So it's Sober all, Mesa, it's all Sober Mesa. Yeah, you know. They all yeah. have any strips on them, but it's oh, that yeah. it's, it's it's that internal expectation, though, you know. Yeah. And and if you have that internal expectation, it doesn't matter what anybody says. It's, well, if it's not time, meeting your your internal expectation, you got to roll with it. This concept of that you can just ship things in bundles is just nonsense. Yeah, it, that's the Steve. Yeah. I agree. Now. I was not suggesting yeah, because that. it devalues the brand. First off, second, the cigars are nowhere near as well protected. Mm -hmm. in a even yeah. if, even if you most factories don't. But we take the extra step of bubble wrapping each bundle. And still, when you pack in bundles, even though they've been individually wrapped and then individually bubble wrapped, you still get cigars that are cracked and damaged. Um, the box, the boxes do actually serve a real practical purpose. I mean, cigars are some cigars are delicate. You know what I mean? So yeah. this is a good topic to bring up because right now in if you look at the shelves at Corona Cigar, there's a lot of stuff that we were out of. And what we're there are issues with production in the factories. It seems like there's more box issues than anything else in the industry right now. And we had this started actually last year, where uh, certain brands that are really hot, and they say, "Jeff, do you want them in bundles?" And I and my answer to that would always be no, because you know, cigar a box of cigars is like two hundred dollars or more. If it's in a bundle, it just you know it just takes away. It's not. It's there's a there's a value perception. Another there. problem too. And even if you put them in the boxes for your shelf, the color sort goes away. Correct. So I then end up with multiple colors. Yeah. It also means yeah. that I got some guy in some store somewhere who I don't know who the fuck he is, finger fucking <laughs> everything. Right. If he drops a cigar on the ground, do you think he's going to throw that cigar away? No. He's going to pick it up and he's going to look at it real quick. And if he doesn't see anything <laughs> wrong with it, he's going to put it in the box. And that cigar's got a 50-50 chance of splitting when the consumer smokes. Yeah. The less mm. people that handle cigars, in my opinion, the better. I, I, I don't I don't want that's why it's one of the reasons I went with UPC codes, because I don't want a retailer unloading a box and having to touch every cigar and put a barcode on. Because they never pack the box as nice or as neat. Okay. Their barcode ends up in some wonky place, you know. Half the time, adhered to the wrapper. I, I want to, I want to take that out of the retailer's hands so he doesn't mess up all the niceness that I put into making it look the way it looks. You know, but, yeah. but on that, Steve, like I said I'll, I'll be at a retailer and I'll, and sometimes I'll have to dig through some cigars because they'll put 
the band or a price right on the wrapper. And it's like, oh, I want to save this wrapper, you know, or the, or the, not the wrapper, the, uh, um, uh, the label. Ring. So yeah, the ring. Uh, Where else so, yeah, it, put it? So yeah. yeah it, so yeah, I, I, I definitely love, you know, when, when it's cellophane, it's got the barcode, it's, it's good. <laughs> All right. So in our defense, in our boxes, you know, Steve, even though you oh, guys, yeah. even though you. Oh, I forgot. So, Jeff, this makes no sense to me. Jeff I, was wait, I was waiting for it. Consumer's barcode. He does not they use bar-code. the manufacturer's barcode. So, therefore, like Grand Elefantes, I didn't barcode them because I know Jeff is going to barcode them because he has his own barcode system that he likes on all his SKUs. Yeah, there's a reason for that. And what happens is, is that it, it, is, it is very. You know, I'm glad people put the barcodes on the cigars, but the problem is, is when you when you're in a, a store like Corona Cigar and you got aisles and aisles of cigars and thousands of selections, is that the customer can't see the price. There's no price. There's a barcode, right? And and when you're looking at cigars, after the guy sees the cigar he likes, the first thing he wants to do is check the price. Now you can put a little price on the box, but let's be real. I I wear reading glasses, and most guys can't read that fine print on a barcode that says the price of that cigar. So that's why we have to put another barcode on it with the price and the size. And so, so anyway, so they can actually see uh, and hold it up and read what the, what the price of the cigar is versus trying to see a box that's under a shelf to see what the price of the cigar is. So yes, we, ha- we, we handle every one of the cigars. <laughs> and it's part of the deal. So famous. You're not the only large customer that does. Famous does their own barcoding too. Jim will tell him, correct me, but I, I think they do their own barcoding also. But I think so, you're the only two larger people that I think do their own at this point. So we're willing to put the work in for the customer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we appreciate it. So, Care, did you hear, Steve? So I'm not wrong in the way I've been pronouncing this cigar. So everybody in the chat panel that have commented and messaged me, Kevin, you keep saying it wrong. I've had it... Or, I thought I know, I've was, always said it was the Grand the Elefante. Idea. Everybody kept telling me it's the elephant, and I'm like, no, well, Elefante is just a it's just a Spanish word for elephant. So. Yeah, yeah, so everybody kept yeah, saying it's, 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 they said it's a Spanish name, but it's but uh, it's pronounced elephant, and I'm like, I'm gonna. Oh, pronounce well, I know. Maybe they're right. I got to Google that crap too. Who yeah, knows? so I'm always said Elefante. Yeah, we're yeah. going with Elefante. So so tonight we cigar, call it Elefante. <laughs> yeah, so the cigar we're talking about. Is the uh, the new Corona exclusive Grand Elefante seven by sixty? Now, uh, uh, Steve, you had posted on your uh, Facebook page a couple days ago that this was replacing the uh, the number six, a six sixty. Um, yes. For people that don't really know or didn't see that, uh, why why the change? Why why did we want to to change this one? Well, I wanted to change the blend a little bit. Look, one of the problems that you have in these larger formats, these gigantes formats, is they tend to really mellow a blend out, right? And so, and I didn't, so I had made the number six blend the same time I had made the Amsterdammer blend, which it's really the same blend, just different shapes. The Amsterdammer is sold in uh, in the EU uh, through my friends in the Netherlands. Uh, and I don't know, after a year, so after we finished going through the first production, Jeff wanted an exclusive ring on it, right? So Jeff wanted it to say Corona Cigar Exclusive. Pain in the ass, but okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to change the blend a little bit because now in hindsight, I felt like it was just, I felt like it never delivered towards the end. I kind of found myself getting bored with it. Um, 
And so I wanted to tweak the blend. And if I'm going to tweak the blend and I'm going to make a custom band and now it's going to be a slightly different cigar, let's, let's, just, let's just embrace the fact that if we're going to make a big cigar, then let's just make an all-day sucker. Why not? And uh, hence, it became 7 by 70 I couldn't call it a number 7 or no, six, 7 by 60 sorry. Couldn't call it a number 7 because I already have a number 7 And uh, it's like it's kind of an elephant of cigar, hence Gran Elefante. So it's a slightly stronger blend than the other sins, but it doesn't smoke stronger in the beginning. But when you get down towards, when you get down to where that Corona Cigar Company exclusive ring is, it really starts to pick up some steam. It's it's got quite a bit of body in the end. Uh, be, um, Jeff, have you smoked one all the way through the ring? Did I it have. get too strong for you? No, not at all. Good. So one of the things that that I like full flavored cigars, but not not ones that. Uh, are so strong that they make you a little dizzy or whatever. That's the best way I can describe. So I think that Steve's entire line of Sin Compromiso is that perfect balance of lots of flavor, heavy flavors, but not that that, uh, nicotine bite and not Mm. the uh, cigar that's going to make you, when you get down towards the end, you, you know, you're not feeling the best. So, and that's always the struggle, to be honest with you, with a lot of brands is that they, you know, Nicaraguan tobacco tobacco is powerful and for me unless it's got quite a bit of age on it it still carries a lot of nicotine which which you know is just affects me a little little uh I can't smoke those super strong cigars so anyway so so Steve has always had a great balance on some compromises now the thing is this is a, a a 60 ring cigar but because of the shape of the way it's box pressed, when it's in your hand, it doesn't feel like you're smoking a big no, no. giant, right? It feels comfortable. Yeah. It feels like a fifty-six, right? You, you know, you know. That way, I'm not a like, big ring gauge guy either, and when I started smoking this, and I, it, it like, doesn't feel like it at all. It's you know, fantastic. I, I was, you know, that was one of my notes um, uh, that I had here. Um, uh, like, what what is the press on this? Because I, I'm telling you, I don't like big ring gauge cigars. And and Steve, you hit it on the head. I get bored. You know, six sixties. It's the same damn cigar. Two and a half hours later, I'm just smoking the same thing. I'm bored. I want to put it out and get something else. Um, but but yeah, um, this cigar, it's not. What is the? What you call the pressing? Something like like Jeff on the FSG calls it the trunk press. Because um, this isn't well, like a, how the cigars are pressed. They're pressed in trunks today. I mean, okay. yeah, a box press doesn't really. We in the market tend to call it box press. But it really isn't a box press. A true box press cigar is one that's packed wet in a box that's slightly undersized. And then the boxes take their form from being nailed in a tightly, slightly undersized box while the cigars were still moist. And that became a, almost a, a Cuban hallmark because they were having to export these cigars to Europe by slow boat. So they didn't want the cigars rattling around in the boxes. So what they would end up doing is they would pack the cigars really wet in a slightly undersized box, and then that would keep them nice and tight. And as a result, they would kind of get this kind of press shape that's a little softer, right? And it wasn't quite even because it just depended. Sometimes you get one that was a little more mushed than another one. We today obviously don't do that. What we do is we trunk press them. We take the bunches after the wrappers passed on them, and then we press the cigars in a trunk, okay? And depending on how how long you press them and what pressure you press them determines how much press they get. So you can get a really severe cuadrado 
which is a real square kind of shape. Yeah. Um, or you can get what this is, is what would be called a semi-prensado. Okay, prensado means pressed, right? So this would be called a soft press or a semi-prensado. And basically it's us pressing the cigars, but for not as long. Um, I like The thing that I like about doing the soft press over the full press is when you make a cigar that you're going to full press, you have to intentionally underfill it because in order for it to be pressed that tightly, you need to have a place for that tobacco to constrict to in order to maintain the draw. What I don't like about that is it makes it very unnatural in the hand of the bonchero when he's making the bunch. He doesn't have the same sense or feel because you know he knows that it has to be underfilled. And it's much harder to tell well, what's the right amount of underfill versus, okay, this is correct. Whereas when you do a soft press, like a semi-prasado on Sting Compromiso, he can roll it like a traditional cigar. He doesn't have to worry about underfilling it. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of box press cigars that are sharply pressed, they tend to be very airy, quick-burning cigars. And for some consumers, that's a positive, right? Padron is a very airy, quick-burning cigar. Beloved, right? So for the consumers that love Padron anniversaries, it's exactly what it is. But I tend to like my cigars to be a little bit more firm. Mm -hmm. I, like to, I like for the draw to be easy, but I don't like for it to be really super, super open because that burn, controlling the combustion rate with the compression of the tobacco will ultimately make the cigar burn more even, maintain a better ash, and also keep the smoke cooler. And a side benefit to the consumer is my cigars ultimately end up typically lasting longer. If you smoke any of my cigars, they're probably going to last 25% longer than a lot of other brands um, in the same size format. Hey, Steve, question. I haven't been in Nicaragua in a couple of years. Are, they were for, there was a period where I saw guys using square molds for a while. Um, yeah, well, we used to do that at Drew Estate. So at Drew Estate, we had a method where we were actually making the bunch square and then passing the wrapper on a bunch that had been pressed, okay? And the punching of the press, I mean, that press happened by the mold, the regular cigar mold that the Bonchero was using. It's a little clunky when you're passing the wrapper because it's kind of like that, you know, bent bicycle wheel that goes kind of clunk-clunk huh. as you're passing the wrapper. But it saves that process of having to do the trunk press afterwards because when you <clears> trunk press afterwards – Depending on the wrapper, you're going to lose somewhere between 3% to 10% of the cigars. The wrappers are going to crack in the press. And then you're going to have to go back and re-etcho those. So by using these square cigar molds, it took that out of the equation. And you actually can get a more attractive – if you're trying to do that really sharp press, you can actually get a more – you can get a more consistent attractive presentation doing it that way. But it is very awkward when you're stretching the wrapper. It doesn't work for all wrapper varieties. You would never be able to – well, you would never press a Cameroon anyways, right? That's a really – look, it's tough to press. Uh, there's not a lot of Connecticut's that are pressed. Pressing Connecticut shade is a – it's a tough wrapper to press because they lose so much of it. You know. But, yeah, we – I have used those square molds in the past, Jeff. So, so because those are sort of newer development not that long ago, what do you think – I mean, a lot of guys, some of them use them, some don't. So it wasn't like some revolutionary change then. I guess it's like. Uh, no, no. It's just um, I think more people go with the trunks than the molds. Because the other thing, too, is when you get into the square molds 
it now has you investing $150 per mold. You need 20 to 24 molds per pair. So you just oh, do the quick math. You need you need all of these mold setups just to make this one particular cigar. Whereas the trunk, you can put any size cigar in the trunk. It just determines, you know, just have to use different height trays to prevent them from being pressed beyond what you want them pressed. So it's much more long for overall economics, it's cheaper to go with the trunk. But if you have enough production and square cigars, it's actually better to go with the square mold. But you have to be a substantial factor. You have to be making like Java's, you know what I mean? Where you're just making so many Java's that this makes sense. Yeah, I was gonna say mm -hmm. uh, the, the Rocky, the Rocky Patel, the Java has that that square. I mean, it is just it it is a cube of, of a of a cigar. Right, and that's and that's coming out of a square cigar yeah. mold at the yeah. buncher's table. So, oh, mm -hmm. right, right on. So, um, um, adding an inch to the cigar. Um, you said it took you over a year. Uh, you know, to reblend it. How how hard well, is remember, it? Part of the problem yeah. with COVID. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, that kind of threw a wrench into things. I mean, I wasn't really able to sign off on the final Liga until like January. So, because I I didn't put anything new in production from that whole period that I wasn't able to go to Nicaragua. I don't. Nothing ever goes into production remote. Now, listen, if we're making another batch of something that we make all the time, well, that starts and stops all the time, right? But when it's something that's new that hasn't been made before, I, I like for that to start when I'm physically there and I can watch the first couple days and, you know, try to look. It's easier to catch the problems in the beginning than after all the cigars are made, you know, because once the cigars are made, it just sucks. So, so that that's something that uh, um, uh, Karen and I, uh, uh, we haven't heard before. Like on the, we, we uh, um, so many manufacturers, um, and they, they say that they, they've been blending from home, you know, getting samples so that I'm not going to disparage what other people. Yeah, do. yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same here. Said, for me, it wouldn't work. Yeah. For so, me, so. it doesn't make sense. That's why it's why I have I have to go there. You know, there's 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 well, there's, there's a reason why. For me. Well, Kevin, here's here's what's going on, too, though, is that, you know, everybody just do any project right now. Factories are looking at that as as why do anything new right now when they don't have production on existing stuff that they're yeah. selling through. So everything is kind of held up right now. Um, so I was, I was kind of shocked actually, Steve got these out uh, when he did because um, you know, we smoked the sample at the, at the PCA trade show and everybody is, is just backed up on stuff. So uh, yeah, but those cigars you smoked at the trade show, I mean, those were made, those were made like in February. So I mean, we but started the making boxes, the, the, then. the boxes and things like that. It seems like everything's held up on the other stuff. It's always the one little thing for the box or the, or the papers, something, something's holding up a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, that part is true. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Now, now this, now this sin, all, all the sins use the, uh, on the wrapper, the Cultivo Tonto wrapper correct yeah so, uh, Every, everything on sin is the cultivo tonto okay so so care i'm not sure if you're familiar with cultivo tonto um uh, people in the chat panel um i know I, I did a whole video on it um steve uh can you tell us um a little bit about what cultivo tonto is yeah um so it really kind of it stemmed from i when i was on a plane you know that 
magazine America Way or whatever. <laughs> I was on Delta or something. And I was just reading an article about these Japanese farmers that grow this very special melon called a royal, it's a royal crown melon is what they call it. It's a type of musk melon. And what they do is this vine will typically support somewhere between 18 to 22 fruit. But what they do is they let the vine get to that size. They let it to start to blossom out. And then they basically pull all the blossoms except for two. Okay. And they choose those two blossoms at two different points on the vine. Because there's two points on the vine that they feel like produce the best melons. And they let those melons start. And then they decide which of the two melons is the best melon. And they pick the one melon and they throw that melon away. So you got this entire vine dedicated to just growing this one melon. Okay. And the idea is that, well, that means that all the nutrition, all the support, everything this plant generates is all going to be focused into this one melon. And then they do some very Japanese stuff, you know, rub it and sing to it. And who the hell knows what else? <laughs> Drink green tea at noon with the melon. But in the end, what they get is they get this crazy melon that sells for about two to three hundred dollars for one melon. OK. And these melons became so wildly popular at 300 bucks a melon. You could find them on eBay for like $600, right? <laughs> the Japanese government has now made it illegal to export one of these Japanese royal crown melons. So I kind of always thought, hey, you know, that would be interesting to try something like, oh, tobacco. And look, it's the same thing the weed guys do, right? They prime out all the lower leaves. They take off the buds that aren't doing as well to try to focus all the energy in the plant into these particular <laughs> buds that they ultimately want to harvest. So that's essentially what the Cultivo Tanto is, is us taking a hybridized San Andreas Negro seed, growing it in Mexico. But what we end up doing is we end up stripping the bottom half of the plant just as it begins to leaf out. Okay. And we only grow typically about the top eight to 10 leaves is about what we're growing on the plant. So we're throwing away about half of the tobacco before it even starts. The problem with that is the top half of the plant really only gives us about a third the weight. So we're really throwing away about two thirds of the tobacco to do this. And on top of that too, we're also having to do a lot more work with suckers because once you start breaking off those young leaves, the suckers go crazy and the suckers will end up just sucking all the life out of the tobacco. So now you're finding yourself having to hand tend each of those plants way more times. So in the end, the tobacco that I get out of that crop ends up literally costing per pound like 330% more than if I just grew the damn tobacco and primed it the way we normally would and harvest the way we normally would. So for me, it was one of these things that was very romantic. So I wanted to do it. But what really kind of pushed me over the edge was in the end, the blend was done. And I buy the same tobacco from the same farmer grown the traditional way. I said, okay, wrap 50 with this wrapper, wrap 50 with that wrapper. Don't tell me which or which. Okay, mix them up. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? I don't even want all A's and all B's. I want like a lot. And uh, and I could tell 100% of the time. It's just It's just a little sweeter. It's a little richer. I mean, so for me, if I could tell 100% of the time, well, there you go. That that made sense to me, even though it cost, you know, three times more the money. And uh, the name Cultivo Tanto just basically means foolish cultivation is what it means because it's kind of stupid. <laughs> you're, you're throwing away two-thirds of the weight of a perfectly good tobacco crop. 
And it's not like you can use it for something else because you're killing it when it's young. Just as soon as those leaves begin to leaf out, you know, they get to like two, three, four inches and they're gone. So it isn't even like you're getting that short tobacco to then use somewhere else. It's, it's literally just being composted. Now, what do you mean by suckers? So I'm picturing. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one. So I'm picturing okay. my head what this would be like in a tobacco field. The only thing that's going through my head is a thunderstorm that comes through, and every oh. one of those plants would be blown over. So that is correct because because the top where the leaves are acts like yeah. a sail. You got just your stalk, right? right? And there's nothing really there, and you got no other plant shielding the wind in your field from the. And that's the reason why. The and this is a very valid point. This is the reason why we have not only the sugarcane breaks, but we also have the muslin breaks up to ten foot. And we put those breaks not at the edges, but we actually have to put those breaks in the middle of the field too, because right. just at the edges is not enough. So what you end up with is you end up with like these really wide, long rows with these breaks in them. It's uh, like I said, it, it's very stupid. There's there's no other way about it. <laughs> well, Steve, the other thing I was thinking is there's one other thing about Cultivo Tonto. You guys probably don't know this because no one really ever talks about it, but um, Mexican tobacco is air cured with a bit of heat because what ends up happening is the rainy season kicks in before the growing season stops. So when the tobacco is going into the barn in San Andreas, it's still very wet outside. So they always have to keep a low amount of heat. They're not fire curing it, okay, but they always have to have the charcoal pits going in order to wick the excess moisture out. Now, about 20 years ago, they started switching to where they use propane burners for that because it's way more efficient and controllable. However, for old guys like me, Mexican tobacco always had just a little wisp of that smokiness to it, right? Not like Kentucky fire-cured smokiness. And in fact, next time you light a sin compromiso before you smoke it, take the cold draw and really focus on it. You're going to get a little bit of that kind of hickory smokiness from it. Can't care. Karen. That's exactly what I said to Kevin tonight when Before I when I cut it and, and did the pre-draw. Yeah, good, 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 uh, good mouth because I wanted to start using that indigenous wood again and doing the old-fashioned charcoal um, the way they used to do it 30, 40, 50 years ago before they all went to propane because it was always something that for me was a characteristic of Mexican tobacco and I and I wanted to kind of get that back. I never focused on it when I was selling the product or talking about the product because I don't want consumers to confuse it with what their standard is, is Kentucky fire cured. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. not getting a Kentucky fire cured experience out of a sin compromiso. It's just yeah. this really subtle note, but I think it adds another layer of complexity to the book. Great, great, great catch care. You it know? definitely I mean, does because when I took the pre-draw, I said, Kev, is there any like fire cured tobacco or is there something? I'm really getting this. And he's like, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, then, like, then, I, then, I, then Kevin I, I, started I, I talking a, about I, black licorice and stuff. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. This is yeah. I got, I got a little anise, but yeah, Karen, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head with a little bit of a. So you got you got it. When you slide the sleep the cedar sleeve off, you can actually smell it. Yeah, a little bit of cedar. No, I have to tell you, a little bit of it. Oh, it's smell the smoke. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's there. I mean, it's there. But like I said, I don't make it a big point because I don't want consumers to get confused. Because it isn't fire cured. It's no. Just, it's just all the barns in Mexico always have to have heat added to them because of how high the humidity is, or nothing would cure. Everything would rot in the barn. 
Fortunately, yeah. in Florida, we don't have that issue. I, I, <laughs> I was prepared to have to do that when I first started growing tobacco. Literally put vents in the built vents in the barn and stuff. We never had to do that. So when we're curing the tobacco, uh, we have enough. Uh, this, people are talking about the humidity in Florida. But actually, if you watch a hygrometer throughout the 24 hours of a day, our humidity goes up to about 90% in the morning at, at the break. It will drop down to around 55% around noontime, and it'll stay that way unless you get an afternoon thunderstorm. Once the afternoon thunderstorm comes, it comes back up to 80, and it levels off until it gets dark, goes back to 100. So we have a lot of swings in ours, which is good because it actually lets the tobacco get moist and then dry and moist and dry. The only problem we have is like when you have a, a low pressure system that hangs out for a while, then you've got to worry about um, getting too much moisture, which can cause stem rot or mold or things like that when you have too much moisture on tobacco. But fortunately, we never had to buy those burners. And up north, they have to, especially in Connecticut. Because when, you know, when, when it's cool out, you don't have as long of, of days of sun, that moisture can really stick in your barn, especially when you're hanging the whole plant with the stalk and everything. There's so much humidity in those barns that, that they got to heat it to help get it out. But, Steve, another thing I was saying about the, the tobacco, when you, um, when you pull off the leaves and you got that, that big stalk with the leaves on the top, you know, the tomato guys, they're experts at staking what called staking tomatoes. So, you know, you see the whole field with stakes in them, they tie them. Right. So that's the other method that can be done. But again, we, we uh, do that too. We stake the plant. It costs a fortune. <laughs> yeah. For, for here in, in America, you know, labor is super. Again, it goes back to the customer's paying for it, right? So compromisos are 15 to $20 cigars. I mean, heck, the Paladin de Sock is a $30 cigar. And it's just up to the consumer to decide whether it's worth it or not worth it to them. You know, that's just the bottom line. But you can't, you can't, you can't have Cultivo Tonto without the money invested to make it happen. So it's just a question of whether it's worth the ride. So we or could do, it. we could do that method in Florida, and it probably cost three hundred dollars a pound. So yeah, it's possible. <laughs> and, and honestly, Jeff is the king of growing the world's most expensive. Most expensive filler on the planet. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So, 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 uh, Steve, how big of a field are we talking, like for Cultivo Tonto, so people uh, know? Currently, like, uh, currently this year, we're commissioning roughly about ten months on, so it's not that large, but it's quite a bit of tobacco, you know. But again, I'm only getting roughly two and a half months on, is three months on, is worth of tobacco out of it. So three months on Manzana is roughly one point seven acres. So, okay. so you're looking at about seventeen total acres. But I'm going to end up getting somewhere around four to five good acres of tobacco. And then I'm going to get four to five acres harvested. But then I'm going to lose what I lose in the barn. Then I'm going to lose what I lose in fermentation. And I'm going to lose what I lose in sort. And, and that's why you'll notice that a lot of my brands, you'll start to see more and more of them where I'm using the, the San Andreas Cultivo Tonto with the binder in them. Because I have to have a place. I can't – there's no way for me to take that tobacco – and sell it in the secondary market. There's no way for me to hide the cost of it. So the only way I can kind of help to keep my costs down on Sin Compromiso for the wrappers is to start using the wrappers that don't make the grade as a key part of the binder portfolio and the brands. You'll notice more and more of my brands are having that San Andreas Negro in the binder. And in almost all cases, it's from the Cultivo Tonto crops. 
I mean, there's okay. a few exceptions here and there where I, where I, where I end up needing something a little thinner than what I'm getting, but that that is look, it's part of it's part of what everybody has to do. We all have to figure out how to use all the parts and pieces somewhere. You know what I mean? You you can't afford. It's kind of like it's kind of like looking at a cow and saying you just want the tenderloin. What you're gonna throw the other nine hundred pounds of meat away? What are you doing, here, right? <laughs> so. There's a lot of good meat there, but you just have to find the right place and how to use it. You know what I mean? So that's a, that's right. a challenge. And in most of my products, I don't have to worry about that because I'm not price sensitive. But you see me having to do that in Miquerita. That's why Umbagag exists. You see me using this binder from the Cultivo Tonto. You know what I mean? But if you think about that, those are also two crops that I'm doing serious cash commitments on. You know what I mean? That's my money. That's not me saying, oh, let me buy these, you know, 40 quintales of whatever, and I pay this price and I walk away with the 40 quintales that I want. No, this is me getting a crop delivered to me and then having to figure out, okay, what am I doing with this crop? You know, how am I going to make this work? So, and it's one of the reasons why you're, you'll, you'll see some overlaps in a lot of my blends, that there'll be some materials that are in one blend that'll be incorporated into another blend. Because I'm always, because also... It provides more consistency in tobacco, so it lets my tobacco inventories be higher, which allows me to make the cigars more consistent across the board. So, so I mean, you're always you're always looking for trying to figure out. It's like owning a restaurant, right? You have to figure out a way how to use all those ingredients in the kitchen because the food cost will kill you. So you need to figure out. Okay, I have pork tenderloin as an entree. Well, what am I going to do with the pork that I don't sell? What's going to be the snazzy appetizer that I'm going to people are going to buy, you know, to make use of the pork that I need for the pork tenderloin? Um, and that's what every factory has to deal with is figuring out how to make that stuff work. That, that, right. That's that's why we're going to be seeing FSG hot dogs soon um, for all the. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> So, so, so Jeff, all the extras. Uh, I am first in line for an FSG hot dog. So uh, I, we, I think we, so far, I mean, we we're killing it with our FSG hamburger events. So, uh, yeah. So we're we're okay on that. Yeah. You were asking about suckers earlier. Yes. And 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 I I don't think people appreciate or, or understand the the challenge that that when steve's talking about when you break those leaves off on the bottom a tobacco plant is all about survival it's a really fast growing plant in 90 days the thing's done it's complete um so when they pick those bottom leaves off that stalk the plant knows that you just amputated its bottom leaves right <laughs> that uh, this is within 24 hours it's gonna you'll there will be a new pair and it won't be that's the thing is when you break off one leaf a right. sucker is two leaves two so it's like a little pair of rabbit ears that start coming yeah. out first they're real tiny next day they're about an inch long and in three days they're they're at least three inches long yes. and if you don't get those suckers off everything they're trying to achieve on that plant by sending up the energy to the top of the plant is actually not happening it's going back and down into the suckers so it's a, it is a crazy amount of work it's even worse when you're doing it when the leaves are young like that because the plan is see once you start prime you get suckers when you prime tobacco but you get way more when you're priming it young because at that point that part of the stock it's meant to be leafing out that's what mm -hmm. it's meant to be doing 
So by harvesting them young like that, the amount of suckers that we get is just absurd. And it requires, it requires literally every plant has to be visited every three days. There's just no way around it. Every plant, every three days has to be hand visited. And when you're plucking off those bottom eight to 10 leaves, that means you can have as many as 10 to 15 suckers on that plant that all have to be broken off. And it's, uh, it's crazy. Wow. In Florida's no, minimum wage is going to going to fifteen dollars <laughs> an hour in the next couple of years. So just remember that how long, how much that would cost to to do that in the United States. I mean, it's, seriously, yeah. The, yeah. It, it would when I when I say it would be three hundred dollars a pound, that's totally not a joke. That's how much it would cost to do that in the U.S. So it's tremendous amount of labor. And the other part is, listen, you know, if you have done any farm work before to do this, let me tell you a bit about it. Those bottom leaves means you got to bend over. So you're, it's back-breaking work because your ass is bent over all day long. Those guys in the field are bent over all day long, pulling those suckers. So uh, I always, I always want to give a lot of respect to the field workers because they do a, there's a shitload of work that goes into to, uh, the product we're smoking, and it's back-breaking work. So you know what we do? You know those cheap plastic toboggans? Did you get at Walmart? They slide on it. <laughs> yeah. We put a guy in the toboggan and another guy pulls the toboggan. <laughs> so the guy is sitting on his ass in the furrows between the rows, leading to his left and leading to his right to pick them. And we use those toboggans for the bottom of the plant because it's quicker than having, having, having one guy pull and one guy lean left and right is better than having two guys bend over all day long. See, that, that, that's farm ingenuity, you know, at, at, its, at, at its best. The new guy does the pulling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new guy. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you're lower end on the bottom. You get to pull today. You know what? It. The person, the person that probably invented that was probably somebody that said, "Hey, they saw a lid tubing or something. They tied a rope to it and said, i 'I'm gonna sit my ass down. You pull me, and we're gonna work as a team and get this done.' I mean, well, they were originally uh, doing it on sheets of plywood. Is yeah. what they were. I went to the farm. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they showed me what they were doing. I'm like. I can get you these toboggans. They're like, it's funny because in the field, you got the purple ones and the pink ones and the neon <laughs> green ones. I mean, it, it looks absurd. Oh my God. I, I, I know, said, like, I, I know. Tonto, foolish cultivation. Everything about it's just, <laughs> You know, I know towards the end of a long day at work, like, I don't even bend over to rack my own vehicles to lift them up. I get one of the kids and I'm like, hey, rack this vehicle for me real quick. You know, I'm like, I'm getting too old for this bending over uh, shit. Yep. But, but, Steve, so when you're pulling the leaves off, are you throwing them on the ground to use as fertilizer or you, oh, no, you don't throw them there you look i look every farmer has different viewpoints on this and i'm not a farmer okay but some people believe in tilling the crop under at the end like the stalks and everything um they believe it provides a lot of silage i don't like to do that because or let me say this i have been taught not to do that because whatever's wrong with what you have now, if you have any sort of disease or any sort of problem, you're essentially feeding that problem back into the soil. So I actually like for everything that's tobacco in a field to come out of the field. I don't even like doing the, I don't even like to cut the, the stalk short and leave those short stalks in the field to plow back under. So I like to grade it all out. So I would never want to drop those mm -hmm. leaves on the ground no those those all basically end up getting pulled away and put into a compost hey steve uh a cigar man asked a question is it, he was asking after you pull those bottom leaves is it is it a way or is it possible to wrap 
to to prevent those suckers from growing any type of uh like black garden cloth never thought about it never tried anything like that sucker side is what you use for that that's that's the uh what it is it's a fatty acid that that's what sucker side is and, and it basically burns off those little suckers from coming back so it's a liquid that you have to apply by hand like in a little ketchup bottle you squeeze it on there i've never or used that before jeff how's it work is it good or, or a little dropper you think it like an eyedropper and you just yeah. put it on each where it leaves and it'll keep them come back that's what we do now we don't do what he's talking about as far as uh you know stripping the bottoms but on on a any tobacco plant in the field the suckers will start to form when the leaf is about 70 percent um what i call ripe um so you got it you do have to control those suckers because otherwise that leaf will kind of stop growing and you'll get a short leaf and then you'll get those two that start sprouting out so even when you grow normal tobacco, you got to sucker them. And mm-hmm. so uh, sucker side is, is, is what we use. But when you do it intentionally, like what he's saying, remember when we pull the leaves off, the plant's already kind of working its way to the top, right? But they're pulling them off when the plant's still in its really in its, its first stage of growth. So it's, it's, it's going to try and, you know, it's the beautiful thing about a plant. You know, you chop off its arm, it's going to grow a new one. So that's why it's much yeah. more active. And then uh, what Steve was saying about the, there's, here's the thing. Some people, if you have soil-borne disease, especially like black shank, any kind of root-borne diseases, um, when if you if you plow that that material back into the ground and you have uh, black shank in the field or nematodes, you're going to continually have that problem. But certain places like Connecticut and Florida, we have very sandy soil. Um, sandy soil because it's it drains really well. We don't tend to have, uh, we have no black shank. We have no root diseases. Our diseases is, are, are different. It's actually a fungus in the soil. We have very active soil naturally. Meaning in Florida, when you mow your grass, you ever notice when, in Florida, when they mow like the grass on the side of the road, you'll see all this grass piled up, right? You come back three, three days and it's all gone. Where'd it go? Well, the sun dries it out. When we throw the leaves on the ground in two days, they're, they're, they're crisp brown. Sun just bakes them, right? And then the soil, they start to compost and biodegrade real fast. So within a week, you don't even see it anymore. But because we have real active soil, if you get the dust that comes off of that soil, gets on your leaves and it tries to eat your leaves as well. So that's the, that's the part that we always have to battle. But every country has different issues, especially when you're in higher altitudes. Moisture holds in the soil, and, and especially it's real black soil, black soil with a lot of organic material, you're going to have more of those problems. So... So it depends on it depends on the country, the field, the farm, whether uh, you know uh, chopping that tobacco, putting it back in the soil, or pulling it is the right thing to do. Plus, we have a so in Esteli, we have a very heavy clay content in our soil in Esteli. Um, the soil up in soil up in Halap is much more uh, friable. It's a much more arable soil. It's much more of that kind of uh, that black kind of more potting soil kind of texture. But the richest soil I've ever seen is actually in San Andreas Tuxtla. That soil, that soil is crazy. That soil is like out of a potting soil bag at Home Depot for like three foot down. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. You can literally just take your fist and just dig holes with your hand. The soil is just so loamy, so friable, so aerated. And as a result, it's one of the richest growing places that I've ever been to. It's a, you see it all the time. They, they, they plant fence, they put plant fence posts in and within a couple three years, the fence post is starting to grow branches and leaves 
on the fence post. So you know, <laughs> a dry piece of wood that they're sticking on the ground, and it comes back. Wow. To life. It's crazy. So and, so so why isn't why isn't more tobacco? Why aren't we hearing this? You know, more tobacco being grown in you know in that region then. Well, I mean, look, you have basically you have you have you have only maybe you've got three major farmers, right? You got Carry On, you got the Torrens, and then you have uh, Gaston Rodriguez. And Gaston really wasn't a big player until Drew Estate invested in him. And then there's about three or four other smaller farmers, one of which that I use. Um, most of the land is already claimed. Look, it's in the caldera of an ancient volcano. You know, it's there's only so much land there that's in this. Because the odd part about it is it's very untobacco-looking area of the country. It's close to the seacoast. Um, when you're driving to San Andreas, it looks like you're just in dunes in the desert. It does not look like a place that you would grow tobacco, hmm. but you just all start and start climbing. And when you go down, you end up in this incredibly lush little mini ecosystem that's just total tropics. In fact, um, remember the movie with Sean Connery, Medicine Man, him yeah. for miracle drugs in the Brazilian Amazonian basin, right? Yeah. That was actually filmed there in San Andreas, Tuxtla. That's oh, where wow. it was filmed. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a really it's probably the lushest place I've ever been, but I've never been to the far East. So I'm sure there's places that are, you know, even denser there, but I mean, for tobacco wise. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly lush. Well, now, now Jeff and any, I know everybody keeps asking you, keeps asking you every time you're on a show, any, you know, are you ever going to expand the, the farm, you know, grow more, you know, cause I know you've got several different fields. Um, yeah. No, we're we are a micro like a micro distillery in in it all goes down to uh, the economies of growing in in the United States. Remember, the farms are leaving the U.S., uh, not just tobacco, but uh, the yeah. fruits and vegetables. Yeah. They're all moving to Mexico. So it's just it, it's too expensive. So, uh, you know, if it was it was something that you could compete on on price in any way. You can't. So, so we're always going to be the, the micro distillery of growing tobacco, and um, it's just because of, of costs. We did it. To, you know, we know. Listen, if every single farm in Florida went out of business, it's a for a reason, right? So, uh, uh, you know, we just we just did it bring bring back in a small way. Yeah, you know, my, my brother-in-law um, uh, Clayton, he was lead grower for Piro Farms in Florida, huge, you know, huge company, and. Um, yeah, even you know that I mean, when it was you know they got bought out by big conglomerate, even they're shrinking down, sending some you know sending stuff up overseas. It's just uh, so I, I know what you mean. It's getting it's getting tougher. But that's why so, all the people down in those areas keep coming up to America too, because again the wages are so they're really mm -hmm. since five bucks a day to to work in a field all day. So they about that yeah. and, they, and these guys work when they're out in the fields they're not screwing around they're working their ass off so you know it's it's just compare we're like i said we're going to 15 dollars an wage in florida versus five dollars a day in those other countries you, you you can see why a leaf coming out of florida is going to yeah. just do the math how much more is that that's like that's like what i don't know probably about a thousand percent more in cost yeah. and labor mm -hmm. our tobacco is not a, our tobacco is not a thousand percent more the costings on your FSG filler are essentially 10 times greater than what I would spend 
farming that same filler cost-wise. Now, not the price that I would pay for it post-fermentation in a bale from a broker, but actually coming out of the coming out of the field, yeah, you're actually 10 isn't really true. It's probably close to 13, 13 or 14 yeah. times Whereas more. Our labor, our labor is probably about 100 times more when it comes to the cost. Wow. Yes. wow. Uh, in, in, insane. Um, Steve, Steve, uh, what, are you, what are you drinking tonight? Um, Old school. I'm going with the basils. All right. Nice. Good stuff. Nice. So, so Je Jeff, uh, you, you just finished your drink. What are you, what are you uh, consuming? I have a sample of our Wyoming whiskey, uh, single barrel. That's a small mm. distillery out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. And uh, we're doing a Red Meat Lovers Club uh, uh, cigar uh, in FSG steak and beef dinner uh, on Thursday. So I'm enjoying my the single barrel of that American-made whiskey uh, in a beautiful part of the country. Mm. Oh, right on. That and care, care, and you, you, what, what was that? What were you drinking? I was uh, uh, Jane Walker. Jane Walker. Are you guys familiar with that? I know that's new. I've been seeing a lot more of that lately. Yeah, the uh, the the uh, the female version of Johnny Walker. So I haven't seen. Yeah, that. I've okay. never heard of it. Yeah, uh, uh, probably over the last month, I've been seeing maybe two uh, months, just everybody posting the new Jane Walker. It's not bad. Say. It's not bad for a blended scotch. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 got some good flavor to it. So, so what, when you say it's got the, because I haven't tried it yet, is it like, is there any peatiness to it or non-peaty? No, what is it? Non-peaty. It's it, it's it's actually very smooth. It, it, you know, for me, it has a little bit of uh, of a woody flavor to it, but. Um, nothing to that peatiness. I, I do, I've had peaty uh, scotches and sometimes it's like, you know, taking a mouthful of moss. It's just too much for me. Um, this is really smooth and I'm not, a, I'm, I've never been a Johnny Walker fan. I've always felt like it's just been a little too, so, some of their blends are a little bit too much. It's like kerosene almost. It's, it kind of takes your breath away, but this is really, really smooth. It has a little bit of cedar to it. A little bit of woodiness to it, but uh, really nice. Hey, Kara, do me a favor. Hold that bottle up again. Is that a clear glass bottle, or was that a colored bottle? Did, no, it's clear. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that, so that's a very dark scotch. It's a Oloroso sherry or something because that's it's got a lot of red to it. So it's probably sherry cask, but looks good. It's very rich. It is very rich, and like I said, it had a little bit of that woodiness to it, but. Um, I don't get any peatiness off it at all, and it's very smooth. It's it's nothing too overwhelming. Uh, where some scotches you can get that kind of, uh, especially with Johnny Walker, I've always had that just a little too much of of. Uh, it's like the retro hail. It's like when you, it just kind of takes your breath away, uh, a little kerosene. But this is nice. So and and I, and I am as always with my Bacardi, but uh, uh, but I have got I and and, and I. Everybody makes funny. I like Bacardi, so so I like I like blending those. So in this one, I've got a uh, two ounces of Bacardi Silver, two ounces of Bacardi Four Year, and one ounce of Bacardi Eight Year, uh, with a uh, can of Diet Coke, and it's like the perfect blend. I, I smoked one of these Elefantes last night, and I just knew, you know, knew exactly mm. what the blend would be. You know, I don't know. Just I have I've drank Bacardi for so long. I can smoke any cigar one time. And I can find the perfect blend of Bacardi and Diet Coke that will make that that cigar, you know, go well. But uh, but uh, so, Steve, so um, what what would you recommend, alcoholic and maybe non-alcoholic, on this Grand Elefante? 
you know, for people out there that maybe want to. Yeah, I'm not the pairing guy. You know, okay. I drink, I drink what I like to drink and I smoke what I like to smoke and they go together. I mean, as a general rule of thumb, things that are sweeter tend to pair better with cigars. It's one of the reasons why bourbon is a better pairing than most scotches. When it comes to scotches, even though my favorite scotches are the heavy peated Isla scotches, um, I typically don't drink those as a cigar pairing. I drink when I'm drinking one of those, I'm drinking scotch first, cigar second. You know what I mean? If I'm gonna go with it, like for me, like two of my favorite Islays with Scott with cigars are the Pedro Jimenez, uh, the Distillers Edition of the Lagavulin because it's a little softer because it's done and finished in the sherry cast. And another one which the Lafroy guys, as a general rule of thumb, hate is the is the Lore. I, I like the is it Lafroy Lore or is that Ardbeg? That's that's oh that's Lafroy. The Lafroy Lore is a softer kind of more subtle version of uh, that. Um, but I mostly I'm, I'm I'm water I'm I'm Coca-Cola Dr Pepper I'm uh, I'm a lot of coffee particularly espresso mm -hmm. you know I'm not a I'm not a big uh, the rum rum has always made sense to me as a cigar pairing because it's on the sweeter side and sweeter liquors tend to pair better with cigars other than wine wines a wines a minefield wine wine, 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 wine wine's tough. So, Kevin, the cool thing about Bacardi is that is a totally American company. A lot of people don't think of that just because yes. of the, name, the name. But that is American as it gets. The guy is also on Patron, and it's amazing what they've done with the Patron distillery. Perhaps one of the most beautiful distilleries and, and facilities, compounds, whatever you want to call it, on the planet. And uh, the other thing that I like to pair with cigars and my other – Yeti over here has Diet Pepsi in it or your Diet Coke, usually the one, either one, with a double shot of espresso in it. And I'm telling you, Diet Pepsi, Diet Coke with a double shot of espresso with a cigar, amazing. Wow. Care, care. I was telling you about that a couple of months ago. Yeah, like, you were. You know, Jeff, you know, let me tell you what Jeff does. And uh, um, uh, I've definitely got, you know, you have an espresso machine. I don't, but I, I have got to try that because, Jeff, yeah, you've mentioned that a couple times. Well, Coca-Cola Coca just released one of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought yeah. I saw it. They now have a Coke with, with coffee in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't taste the same, though. It's sort of like trying to get the oh, can of that. Yeah. But if you get, get one of those little pod things, yeah. Kevin, that thing works amazing. Oh, okay. Jess has got one of the pod machines. So, yeah. yeah. An espresso, it's not a Coke. Yeah. He showed me how to calibrate it. He came over here, it was all screwed up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Care is Care and uh, his fiance Jennifer, they machine the and snobs. grinders, yeah. and it, it's a whole it, they are baristas. Yeah, they, they don't. They well, don't let's do get that straight, Kevin. I'm the barista, she's the <laughs> always the customer, I'm always making something for her. So, we'll have to give the uh, the espresso and the diet uh, Pepsi a shot. I'll, I'll see if she likes that because she does drink Diet Pepsi, or at least Pepsi. So it'll be interesting to see if that'll pair well. It's amazing because I, I, I that's the number one thing I always I love pairing my cigars. Any cigars is is coffee. I love just I'll pair it with different types of beers, um, and 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 the whiskeys and the scotches and stuff. But coffee, one hundred percent hands down. Beer to be a difficult pairing too. What's that? I find a lot of beers to be different. Look, oh, it is. It's challenging. Waters can be easier, but man, when you start getting into the loggers and all you get of that the hoppy stuff, stuff. wow, yeah, the hoppy stuff like the IPAs. Yeah, 
really hard to pair with cigars. It is, and you almost have to. You almost have their IPA with their cigar, and and that's why for me, I always feel like pairings are more about drinking what you like to drink and smoking what you like to smoke, and you will probably be happy. If I want to drink beer when I smoke a cigar, I got to make sure I know what the beer tastes like without a cigar, and I got to know what the cigar tastes like without the beer to make sure that if I want to drink a beer with the cigar, it's going to go well. I don't kind of just randomly go, well, I'm going to grab this uh, hoppy, you know, beer and, and, and smoke a cigar with it because it could be catastrophic. So I saw this question go by. Will Elefante be available in Corona Cigar Lounges, Jeff? Yeah, I just yeah, it's in all our stores. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in all the stores. It's at Davidoff Tampa. It's online. We got it everywhere. And I, listen, I'm getting close to the uh, secondary band on this one. And it's definitely picking up strength as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that tweak that Steve did on this blend is very apparent when you uh, start getting down to the. I feel like the other sins do that. And I just felt like the six by 60, the number six didn't. You know what I mean? But you also have to understand it's very common for me to make a blend and really <laughs> love it. And then a year later go, huh, I could have done this. You know what I mean? And you see me repeat this over and over. I mean, the Sober Mesa El Americano in Short Churchill is a t- tweaked version of the uh, of the original Sober Mesa blend. The Brulee Blue is a tweaked version of the Brulee blend. The Mickey Rita Tricky Traca is a different iteration of the Mickey Rita blend. Because, you know, it's, it takes about a year, a year and a half. I've smoked hundreds of them. And I'm not smoking them like I am when I'm developing them. when you're developing them, you're smoking them back to back. You're lighting so many cigars. You know what I mean? Um, when you when you have a whole year to reflect and go, hmm, what could I have done different? Maybe not necessarily make it better, but you don't want to go back and fix it because what you made was great before, and there's a lot of people that love it. But it allows me to like do something like this where I go, oh, I kind of get a do over. You know what I mean? Because. <laughs> You know, after a year of age, I felt the six by sixty. I just, I kind of felt it was a little boring in the end. You know, it's kind of so the way. Steve, I do, you, do you flip the tips around any different? Because you know, I never knew this until Steve had pointed it out years and years ago. He's like, you know, the tips. If we reposition the tips of the leaves, you know, that that's where they're more strength. We can put the bottom in the middle or the top. Or did you play around with that on this? Or or yeah, yeah, yeah. These these are these are backfilled differently than the other sets. The, bl- the blender are all the same tobaccos. It's just a question of the quantities and the positioning. So there are more tips in the head of this cigar than traditionally would be. And also we drop out all of the butts for the first break. They don't end up in the head at all. We end up using more mids for that section there. Okay, so, 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 this, so it's the same mm-hmm. blend as the original number six. Same tobaccos. Okay, so just more repositioning. The proportion of the tobacco is slightly different, and yeah. then the positioning of the tobacco within the cigar is slightly different. You know, so it's a combination of those two things: slightly different proportions and, and a different positioning. To just, like I said, you you don't want a cigar to just kind of, you don't want it to just, you don't just don't want it to kind of go out on a whimper, right? You want it yeah. to be the crescendo of the experience. Even true in a mild cigar. You still want the end of the mild cigar to be a bit richer than the beginning of the mild cigar, even though it still stays in the mild category. And it's really kind of this where I felt that the six by 60 was just it was just too linear, in my opinion. But again, that was an opinion. 
I probably smoke more than anybody else, except maybe Jeff. Jeff smokes a lot of <laughs> um, and he probably smoked a lot. I don't know. Did you smoke a lot of those six by sixties, or did they all just sell? Well, I like per, it, I like six by sixties that are box press. Yeah, I smoke a bunch of the same compromises. But for example, like in the in the FSG brand, we have a six by sixty. I smoke that the least. It's a round cigar. It's just big for me, right? right. But when you with the shape of this, it's very it fits in my fingers right it just mm-hmm. I, I, I like it but it, what one of the things i just think is this crazy about tobacco right you can get so granular on it you know you look at field of tobacco right you got seed varieties you got different countries of origins you got different farms and even in your field your tobaccos perform differently because your fields aren't leveled there'll be some that are a little higher and a little lower you'll have tobaccos that are different in your field then you guys get them at the fact then you get different positions on the plant then when you get them in the factory and honestly, I didn't know this until years ago, a few years ago. You know, on a leaf of tobacco, when you got one hanging up in the barn and it's cured and, and it's moist enough where you can pull it apart and play with it and stuff, the tip of that tobacco is different than the backside where the stem is. The stem is, is it's much, it's, it's a little thinner. The top is going to be a little more leathery, right? And so it's amazing that you can literally just take a leaf and by changing the position of where the, 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 the tip of that tobacco is in years ago, are whether it's at the foot or in the middle or at the top can change it as, as well so just these little subtle things from the same leaf can make a difference and i just think that's amazing it's one of the reasons why so many nicaraguan cigars they just start off with like a really spicy bang and then they kind of settle in it's because of the way the breaks are traditionally done because the tips are typically broken on that far end and flip directly backwards so most of the tips if you don't reposition them will almost always end up in the foot of a cigar. And that's the reason why so many Nicaraguan cigars start off really potent and peppery in that first inch or so, and then they kind of settle down a bit because they've just left all the tips in the foot. They haven't gone through the effort of repositioning those through. But look, these little minor differences, this is the difference between when you pay $8 for a cigar versus you paying $18 a cigar. Because now what you need is, rather than the guy knowing, hey, I break it here and I flip it back, he now breaks it there, and then he has to separate it out, and then he has to put it in the right position inside the, the bun. So it requires more skill, more tension, more time, and these are the little things that help to separate. That's why there's price deltas. You know, the question is, you know, and it goes back to what I said about this, any of my cigars, the consumer has to decide whether it's worth the money. Can they tell the difference between smoking a $13 Mi Querida versus an $8 whatever other cigar that has Connecticut Broadleaf on it. Do they see it? If they don't see it, then it doesn't matter. There's no reason to spend your money. If you do see it, then you're going to definitely say, wow, this is actually worth it to me. Yeah. Now, now Jeff, on the same with, with your with your uh, the larger 6x6 of the FSG, I've got a few. I rarely ever smoke that size. It's just, for me, it's a little bit un- unnatural, just a little bit bigger. Um, but I, I actually just did a TikTok video the other day. I uh, uh, stitched, I don't know if anybody know what that means, Michael Herklotz talking about different sizes of uh, cigars. And I love the Bellicoso. I mean, hands down, this is my my favorites. I tell everybody, like, the, you know, FSG, like, which one should I buy? I go buy all of them. Because the Robusto, the, the Trunk Press, and the Bellicoso all smoke completely different, in my opinion. The Bellicoso, hands down, is the sweetest cigar. You get a sweetness out of that cigar that you do not get out of all of the other 
you know, Vitolas. But what's interesting too, that as a retailer though, the industry has changed so much in 25 years about which, which brands or sizes sell. For us now, it, it, you know, it's a, it's, you get your Toro, you get your Robusto, uh, uh, a Bellicoso and a six by 60 are usually about equal. So six by 60 is the number four seller in our company. So well, I would say it's number three. They were industry wide six by 60 gigantes are number. Wow. Yeah. So they sell oh, yeah. a lot of people buying. Yeah. I mean, you know, because, because the price difference isn't that much. So usually for, you know, a cigar that's, twice the size you know sometimes it, it's the same price if not if not it's a dollar more you know so people have that that mindset for a dollar more i can smoke for three hours versus an hour or 90 minutes yeah but so the, I, the problem with the larger ring gauges though they just they just tend to be kind of dull and and, and the dilemma part of it has to do with the fact of how you have to make those cigars you're kind of forced to use a lot of thinner materials in order to make sure that it keeps burning because it's an awful lot to keep burning. You know what I mean? And to keep it combusting because look, the consumer, when they take a draw on a cigar, when they have a, a jawbreaker, a seven by 70, it isn't like they pull twice as much air through every draw. They take whatever their natural draw is. So it's a lot of tobacco to keep going. Mm -hmm. And in order to keep that tobacco going, you end up having to use a lot of thinner materials, which tends to make those large formats much milder to smoke. And I know a lot of people think that the reason why so many consumers smoke the big cigars is because they're getting the dollar value. But I'm telling you, it's more because they're milder. And if you look at most of the people that smoke the super gigante large cigars, a lot of them are younger, newer cigar smokers that are in their first 10 years. And they're still on the milder end of the spectrum. And even when we make a mild cigar out of Nicaragua, our mild cigars aren't really all that mild. So if you want to try the newest brands, a lot of times the six by 60 is the way to go if you're still in the milder end because those cigars are naturally going to be milder. They're going to burn cooler and they're going to have a lot of thinner materials in them to make sure they keep combusting. So I, I think that has a lot to do with what drives the sales on those large formats is they just smoke milder for most customers. So, Steve, one of the good things about this show, four of us are smoking a cigar and I haven't heard anybody licking their lighters relighting this cigar. So the I touched mine up once. Yeah, it's, it's burning no, great. No, my, mine, mine was uh, almost flawless. There was a pinhole in the uh, uh, right at the top of the band, so so I had to put it in my mouth, like a full inch in my mouth, because it was sucking the air through, and I wasn't getting the smoke. So uh, other other than that, that was the you only respond right now. Yeah, Jeff, yeah, right now. You know, but but I, but I had told Care last night. I had smoked this last night. You know, I, I did an IGTV video on it. And um, this was the first time ever. I'm not a big ring gauge uh, fan. No. And if it wasn't for the time constraints, I would have lit up another one instantly. This cigar, fantastic. I absolutely loved it. You know, uh, uh, this is definitely my favorite Sin Compromiso uh, size. It was ju just an absolute perfect, perfect cigar. This is my first one I'm smoking. And thank you, gentlemen, because uh, fantastic. I appreciate uh, you setting... Steve, what is the potential of seeing a Lancero? Well, there kind of is one. Isn't Verita Magica very close? I mean, it's 7 by 44, but with the box press, it's more like a 41. I mean, yeah, it's not the classic 7 by 38, but what, mm -hmm. uh, 
a Lancero and Liga Pravada is an L40, so that's a 40-ring gauge cigar. So I think if you're a Lancero guy, I think the Verita Magica is going to be the ticket because there won't be one skinnier, I can tell you that. The blend I've, 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 never seen, yeah, I've never seen that on a shelf. Jeff, did you guys offer no. that? That that no. size, and and how do you, Steve? How do you how do you get it down so thin? What do you got to drop out in in the filler to to be well, able? That's to the problem. That? We're not. What we're doing is we're basically ending up uh, not using the entire leaf, and that's the reason why I can't make it any thinner. I basically have stripped the leaf down. I've put the leaf into strips. We cut them into strips, and we're using a lot of half and third leaves, you know, in order to make that cigar to keep the complexity of the, of the blend. And that's why there'll never be a 38 ring gauge sin compromiso in its current, in its current, in its current blend, there's no way to do it. Because yeah. with most Lanceros, you're typically limited to two filler tobaccos at most. That's kind of pretty much your maximum that you can potentially have in a Lancero. So it's just, there's just no space for it. I mean, and even when we were doing the blending on L40, I mean, the reason it's L40 originally was L38. It was supposed to be L38, and I changed it to L40 because I just kind of felt like it was a little boring. So I wanted to, you know, by going up to a 40 ring gauge, it let me add a half a strip of something different to the blend to just give it a little bit more richness. Mm. That's, that's the thing for me. I, I know there's a lot of Lancero junkies out there. Well, there's not really. They're just very loud, the Lancero junkies that are out there. There's really not a lot of them. Care, um, no, care knows all about that, yeah. Um, but yeah. they just, in my opinion, I find most of them relatively boring. I mean, it's just, they, they're, simple, they're simple blends with very simple flavors. You can't do any leaf positioning in it because there's no room to do any leaf positioning. There's no forgiveness whatsoever. So you're basically getting just the straight linear leaf the way it is. There's no backfill. There's no positioning. There's only two filler tobaccos. It's very wrapper dependent, more so than probably any other cigar. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I've never made a Lancero format that I didn't feel like, oh, if I made this in like a 44 ring gauge, I couldn't make it better. And luckily for me, the market has trended towards larger cigars. So like I'm one of the manufacturers that I make, I make a lot of 46s and 48s. Okay, very few manufacturers make that as a regular size, but you'll find a six by 48 or a six by 46 or something very close to one of those two. And I think almost every one of my brands. Um, so it's kind of like it's enough space for me to do the work that I like to do, but still try to keep it in a narrower format. And luckily for me, because the market has moved to such wider cigars, my 46 seems like a skinny cigar. Right. Whereas 40 years ago, a five and five eighths by 46, that was the benchmark size that we, that they blended to. They blended for that Cuban Corona Gorda format where today nobody blends in that format at all. Almost everybody blends in a Toro and kind of goes from there up or down. Mm -hmm. You know, the Toro kind of has become the 52 ring gauge, six inch is kind of like the baseline for almost all brands. Unless you're saying, Hey, I'm going to make a now leave me the hell alone Lancero. Well, you obviously don't start working on the Toro because you're making a Lancero on yeah. So that's where you go. But, I mean, look, Sin Compromiso, it started off as the number five. And then the number five is finished. And then you figure out how to make the Intrepido and you figure yeah. out how to make the number seven. And then a year later, you figure out how to remake the number six. You know what I mean? So, so, 
So we've been, we don't hardly sell any Lanceros and we've been burned on a lot of this past where people came out with limiteds and we bought them and they just didn't, didn't sell. But uh, I think it, it, we messed up when Steve came out with his uh, leave me the hell alone. Cause I don't think we ordered any and that was a mistake. Cause uh, Steve obviously had people that wanted a cigar. So we, we, learned still, our we, last still, we still yeah, sell next- every month. 300 to 400 boxes of that dopey Lancero it blows me away. I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah, now, uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, any any FSG Lanceros ever going to come out? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, we this the smallest ring gauge that we've ever done were the original farm rolls. Where uh, it, you know, we we when we first made those, we wanted to do it so, sort of like a uh, when guys are tasting tobacco, um, you know, just sort of a. a a wrapper and, and a couple filler leaves in the middle, but people liked them so much that we uh, we started making them in a in a larger ring size. So um, that would be the smallest and thinnest FSG. But but even now the farm rolls up to it's probably about a forty six now. Yeah, you know uh, I was just gonna say I'm uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the original farm rolls. Last time I was up at Sand Lake, uh, I had bought a handful of the new larger farm rolls. I'm telling you, like I said, half the time I'm grabbing one of those versus a regular FSG, your new farm rolls are unbelievable. I mean, they're just, a, and they're not, it's still not a cheap cigar. I mean, it's still an $11, you know, farm roll, but it is off the charts. Good. Yeah. Believe it or not, that's the most expensive cigar was when you look at the tobacco too, because all, you know, most FSGs don't have, that's, I think we're using four leaves of tobacco in that farm roll. So there's a lot of, it's, it's a hundred percent FSG. So yeah, people really like it. And, uh, and again, it's not fermented uh, tobacco it's out of the curing barn, and then we age them in our bourbon barrels. Mm. Uh, let them let them sit for about two years. So it's it's curing and aging. But even but the thing is, in Florida, remember, it gets hot, so we have a container that they're in inside bourbon barrels, so they get heat. That you know, it's not like a typical pilon, but there is a. It, it's really weird in Florida. We get like a barn fermentation with the heat. It's just you can start smelling the the. the tobacco really kind of fermenting just because of the the natural heat and moisture that we have especially in the summer yeah now now uh, steve going back for a second on the new size you know um did you have a problem um or, or any issues with with finding a, a leaf to do a seven inch cigar no, I mean, that's... not that that isn't the problem the problem i see with these larger ones is i tend to notice that you get a little bit more splitting because what ends up happening is we have to when we take that tenderloin cut out of the wrapper, we end up in that thinner back end section, okay, that's towards more the butt of the blade. So I've noticed that like right around the band, sometimes I'll get a little bit more like, and it's really just it's more an aesthetic issue. It doesn't tend to affect the burn or the smoking, but I do notice that it tends to be a little bit more sensitive in that section. Um, whether consumed, the fact that I said it out loud is probably not a good thing. Because now everybody's <laughs> going to notice it. If I never said anything. No one probably would have ever noticed it. But uh, but that is that is one of the problems you have in the San Andreas Negro. Going and it wouldn't be a problem if it was seven inches and it was a Churchill. It's because it's seven inches and it's a sixty. Oh, okay. It takes it takes quite a bit mm-hmm. to get seven by sixty there. But look, there's there's only certain wrappers that you can use to get those kind of sizes out of. And I can broadly can get those sizes out of some of the lower primates of Ecuador, Connecticut. You can get those sizes out of some some San Andreas Negro, but not a lot of it. You can get those sizes, particularly doing the Cultivo Tanto 
it tends to mean that most of the leaves that are used on the Gran Elefante tend to be kind of more at that first priming that we keep, right? Which would normally be somewhere close to the fourth priming, fifth priming. They tend to fall into that range for Gran Elefante. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is, but yeah, I mean, seven inches isn't, it's hard to get seven inch. It's hard to get seven by sixties out of a lot of sun grown Nicaraguan. There just aren't enough leaves that are really big enough to make a lot of seven by sixties. So why you'll see a lot of the 60 ring gauge long cigars, a lot of them have Indonesian wrapper on it. The Indonesian wrapper is far more available and usable, you know, for that purpose. It's also one of the reasons why like a lot of sun grown Nicaraguan wrap cigars, they'll also have an Indonesian binder. Because the Indonesian binder doesn't really add much flavor-wise, but what it ultimately does is it provides a really good combustible leaf, which will help that sun-grown Nicaraguan wrapper burn its way along. There's a lot. There's a lot of brands out that are like listed as Nicaraguan Nicaraguan, but they're really Nicaraguan Indonesian, because if they were Nicaraguan Nicaraguan, they just wouldn't burn, you know. Um, so, but uh, but but ultimately, look, it's like everything. Certain things work better in certain sizes. All right. So, so, so all the, and, and just for everybody in the chat panel, I said uh, uh, the, the link is down below if you want to purchase these from Corona Cigar. Now, these are, these are, uh, um, uh, one, you know, once this batch is done and sold, how long is it going to be, Jeff, before the next Grand Elefante? Or is it, are you, I'm, are you going to do this again? Um, I want to keep it as a regular production cigar, but I wanted to ask Steve. There's there's <laughs> there's supply problems coming out of Nicaragua right now. I actually right 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 there. now. If for there to be more Gran Elefantes, it'll be about eight months. Okay. So if you said to me tomorrow, Steve, I want you to make this many more, it, we we would probably be look very best case. Look, I'm right now. My biggest problem with Sin Compromiso is not cigars. My problem with Sin Compromiso is boxes. Uh, the person that makes the Sincom boxes is he's basically operating 24 hours a day. And where I used to be able, and he was always a pain in the ass because I would <laughs> give him 90 days where the most box makers used to be able to give them 45 days and you would get your boxes. He has always been 90 days. He is now like literally, he's now like a minimum of six months. So I have to tell him what I'm going to pack next March at this point. What I need to have boxes delivered in March. I need to order those boxes today, and, and that, we will yeah. even see if that happens. And that comes a box within a box. You've even got a cardboard box that it comes in. Yeah. So wow. luckily, cardboard's easy. I can still do cardboard at least at least this week. There's a, card, <laughs> there's, a, there's a cardboard shortage yet, but I'm sure it's coming because it's been a shortage on every damn other thing. Why not? Steve, are you seeing any improvements or you think things are going to get worse? Stay the same? Worse. What do you, what do, it's getting what do you think? worse. It's getting worse. Getting worse. Yeah. So people, the only thing that's going to change things is when all of these manufacturers realize that their back orders are lies. That Because here's the thing. Retailers notoriously overorder with the concept of if I order 20 boxes, maybe I'll get six boxes. Maybe I'll get seven. So what ends up happening is all these companies right now have huge amounts of back orders, but the reality is if they could deliver those cigars tomorrow, the retailers couldn't absorb them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So what we need to see happen is for the retailers to start saying, yeah, 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 I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it, which will then cause things to kind of slow up a bit. I don't think we're in a weird kind of quasi cigar boom right now. I don't think we're looking at a, 
1998 kind of collapse scenario that we had before. But at the same time, I have a hard time believing that we're not making too many cigars right now as an industry. And I'm not talking about individual companies. It's different on a company by company basis. But overall, the production that we're currently shooting towards seems awful high to me. I I, I have a hard time believing that that's going to last. And particularly as we get more COVID in the rear mirror, I think it'll even compound the problem more. Because once people start back with a more normal life and work schedule, they're not going to have the time to smoke as many cigars as they've been smoking during 2020 and for some the first half of 2021. So I, I think there's going to be a bit of a slow up and easing. I still think overall the industry is on a positive direction, but I don't think that the numbers we've seen for the last 12 months are going to maintain. I, I, I have a hard time believing they will. Jeff, you see it more on the humor end. So you have a much, see, if you go by what I see, Right now, things are so crazy. I should just be making a billion cigars, right? Yeah. But I'm always like the last. It, it all rolls back towards me. So Jeff will be the one that sees it first, okay? And then I'll see it in the orders from Jeff. But the orders from Jeff won't be enough. I'll have to see that in the orders from 70 other customers. And that's when I start to get my red flag. And the factory then gets the next hit. And then the farmer gets the hit after that. And this is one of the problems in our industry that's always a challenge is we always have too much of A and too little of B. And it doesn't matter what we think we should have. We're always wrong. So, uh, Steve, with, right. uh, with, with, with all the, 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 as you said, there's there's issues and problems and, 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 and demands and reordering. Uh, Kevin and I were talking earlier, and um, as I finish up, and I did not see any issues with the back end of, of this cigar, by the way. Um, there, there, there's been a, a, a uh, um, Kevin said that there, there may be a possibility of seeing the revisit of this. Now, I, I, I was in a cigar shop up in Pennsylvania about five months ago and found a, about a dozen of these on the shelf and made sure that I got all six of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am, I am a, a fan of, of finding the, uh, the Indiana Jones, you know, uh, rare and 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 items of of yesterday's uh thing but any 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 possibility of 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 the of the stfu coming out uh, as a regular no now now you now you would tease steve during the reveal that there possibly could be something in the future i'd like to do it i'd like to do another five cigar pack that's kind of that tasting challenge right. oh, okay uh, but i won't i won't i won't do another stfu and look uh, uh, 2020 was a mess, and again, look, I I wasn't able to go to Nicaragua all the way from April to December. Right. Okay. So it really kind of it really kind of like screwed up everything. And you you see it in my exclusive releases this year. They're all banging at about the same time, and many of these are cigars that I owed people from last year. Okay, but I just wasn't able to produce them because I wasn't able to physically be there. And so there was no room to do something like STFU this year. It just isn't possible. I, I think in 2022, it will be. Luckily for me, with a project like that, that's a cigar production issue. It's not a packaging issue because there's no packaging. 
a sticker and some cellophane wrap. You know what I mean? So luckily for me, that doesn't cause the problems that the other stuff does. Right. And and also scale affects you greatly. It was much easier when I was getting 400 boxes of Sober Mesa made every month, and now I need 8,000. You know what I mean? It's a lot of different pressure on the box maker. Oh, yeah, Sokka needs 400 boxes. We squeeze that in. We just spend two days. We spend a day. We take care of Sokka's 400 boxes, and he isn't annoying us anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 8,000 boxes every month. Well, now – you, you, you just don't work an extra shift and bang out 8,000 extra boxes. Yeah. And now, exactly. now it has to be part of the grand scheme and the master plan. And it's gotten, it's got to be much harder and it's not, it's not going to get easier. Yeah. Now, now Jeff is also uh, uh, the Indiana Jones. He found an FSG in Alaska, you know, about as far away. I mean, it was, that? It was a couple years ago, Jeff, <laughs> you know, I remember you post that picture. You, you were as far away from Florida as you could be. And you found an FSG. Well, it was, it was a customer from Orlando. He he runs a, a halibut fishing boat up there, and uh, it was it was a that was one of the cool experiences about cigars, man. You can go anywhere on the globe, and once you're smoking cigars, that people come out and you'll 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 find out how the world shrinks. And that was a that was a really yeah. cool experience. So, uh, and we caught a hell of a lot of fish today too. So it was great. I'd, I'd love to go back and do that again. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually awesome. delivered a package. Uh, I got an order today for some cigar prop merchandise, and uh, right on the other side of town, I didn't know the guy. I went to drop it off. He was actually backing out of his driveway, and I pulled up, and I'm like, hey, are you George Sousa? And he goes, yeah. And I go, here's your package. And he was wearing a Corona shirt. And I'm nice. like, hey, you going to watch you gonna watch the <laughs> show tonight? So I'm like, I'm like how, how cool. cool is that? You know, didn't know cool. the guy, didn't know, you know, not from social media. He just ordered some stuff wearing a, wearing a Corona shirt. That that's yeah. awesome to hear. So 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 Steve, I want to talk like the the, the question that, that everybody has been busting your ass about. We've been talking about FSG. Right. So you kind of know where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any FSG Dunbarton collaboration. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was at Jeff's farm earlier this year, um, we selected what three cases, about three hundred pounds of the top priming um, filler materials. And they're right now in Nicaragua. And we're right now doing experiments with it. Um, I don't quite know how to ferment it, how I want to ferment it. So we're trying a few different methods. We're, we're, we're right now, we've got some of it laced into a broadleaf bulk. We have some of it laced into a, a lower temp Ecuador Habano bulk. And then we also have some that, uh, that we're doing in the middle of a mull box. So we're right now trying three different methods of fermenting it to try to see how it's going to turn out. And when the results of that's done, we'll then determine how to ferment the rest of what I have. And at that point, once I get something that's then workable, we'll then start the blending processes. It's going to still be a while. Um, It's possible maybe we can have something in 2022, but I don't want to promise that. It's really going to depend because, look, we're doing these three different types of fermentation right now. What if none of them work out? You know what I mean? And I know the easy answer is for me to go over to Pensa or to Agronosa and see how they do it. But that kind of, I mean, if you want. I don't think that me making something with FSG the same way that another factory makes something with FSG adds to the lexicon. Right. So the question is, 
can I do something with this tobacco that I can then make something unique enough? And, you know, and also you look, you want to have that expression. And the other thing too is, and Jeff knows this and I've never been shy about it. I'm not a big fan of most FSGs. Um, oddly enough, the, the one I like the most is one from Agronosa with the white band on it. And then oh. the other one is the one that you mentioned was the, uh, the wider ring gauge farm roll. Yeah. Um, so the wider ring gauge farm roll is the one that I tend to like the most. So, so the question is, how do I get more that way and less the way of others? You know what I mean? And you, look, you want yeah, to that, make, that, yeah, want that, to make that. distinctive and unique and different. And, and we have a, we have a couple projects already in mind that we've been batting around. Um, and I just, I don't want to put the cart before the horse right now. We're doing test fermentation. That's where we're at. So what's interesting about uh, tobacco in each factory, a lot of people, um, I didn't know this for probably five years ago. You know, you think tobacco from a farm in five different factories, they have their own little secrets of how they ferment tobacco. And uh, they are super particular about it. It's like, uh, no, this is how we do it. You know, they do it over there this way and this way and this way. So, um, and just for the record, can, however, they do it's the best way, always. Yeah. <laughs> so, always. But, but the other thing, too, the, the learning experience about like when we did our first crop in Drew State work with it, they had to, you know, they were trying to ferment it like it was uh, Nicaraguan tobacco. In the very first test crop, they burned most of it, meaning when I say burn most of it, it was, uh, this was back in 2013. If you, if you, if you wet FSG tobacco like you would do a Nicaraguan tobacco and put it in a pilon and heat it up like that, it's too hot. It'll actually start to burn the leaves. They'll all come out black, uh, and, and it'll, it'll get the oils out of it, and it'll make the leaf crack. So uh, there's different methods, and in, in, uh, the people have been working with it the longest to figure out the best ways of for them using their pro process. So, you know, I mean, you can go in 10 different factories, and, you know, some of these guys, for example, like on their wrappers, some of them are, I, I know which way I don't like when people use tobacco where they got the, the, the misting of the water and they just wet it and stuff. That's, you know, that's kind of a, I don't want to say careless, but it's, it's definitely, you cannot apply moisture evenly to leaves that way. Um, and moisture when you're, when you're bulking tobacco is key. You know, you get it too wet, you can, you can cause problems. But it's, you know, and that's why we don't ferment any tobacco. People ask, why don't you just ferment tobacco and do the whole thing? Same thing with uh, J.C. Newman in Tampa when they make the Americans. You know, that tobacco is exported to Nicaragua to go to Pensa for them to do the fermentation and sort and then bring it back to, to Tampa. Because you, you just throw stuff in a pile and think it's going to ferment and you don't watch it. You, you're not, it's going to work. You're going to have problems. Um, so it is a 24-7 process. Of watching what goes on so uh steve has his methods factory i always say the factories where good cigars go to be fucked up because the reality <laughs> is the tobacco how the tobacco comes out of pre-industry is what's important pre-industry is the most important part of the process where we're doing the selection the sort the fermentation that's really what determines what the cigars can ultimately be or not be. And then what ends up happening is we give perfectly good material to the factory. And then what they do is they hammer it and they ruin it. And if we give them subpar materials, they can't make it into a great cigar. Right. All they can do is ruin a great cigar by screwing up the construction. So the part that gets so romanticized, the factory end of it, 
the factory is really much more standards, practices, methodology, quality control. It's it's more just a very focused, detailed, very, you know, trying to take an imprecise thing and make it as precise as possible. But the, the real mag magic happens in pre-industry. That's where the magic happens. And that's what makes such a difference. Because, I mean, look, why is Connecticut Broadleaf on one brand this way, but Connecticut Broadleaf's this way on another brand? Why do wrappers look like this on one cigar, but from the very same farm, they're totally different on another on another cigar? It has to do with what that manufacturer is doing in pre-industry to make those tobaccos uniquely the way they want them to be. So for me, that that's really that's the hard work is the pre-industry side of it. And once we get once we get that dialed in, then we can start worrying about blending a cigar and how do we make a cigar. And then we, once we figure out a blend we like, we then have to figure out, okay, how can we repeat this construction? Because it's one thing to sit down with your with your demo pair, okay, your Muestra pair. I mean, those typically are the best pairs in the factory. That's not the way the cigar is going to end up coming off the production floor, okay? You can't count on that one, two, three pairs that every factory has that has that ability to be translated to when it goes into common production. So a lot of times a blend will get worked out with the Moestra pair, but then once it goes into production, you see that there's things you have to tweak because you have to be able to make that blend repeatable for your workforce. You can't make it to where, okay, the most experienced, the very best people are rolling it, right? When you do that, it's unicorn. There you go. It's a hundred dollar cigar. When you're going that way, but you can't make everything into a hundred dollar cigar. You got to make cigars that people can afford to smoke. <laughs> and so you also have to sometimes tweak things, you know, because sometimes some of the bunching techniques they can get a little bit too intricate for the average pair to do, you know. And I mean that's and that's true even in my cigars. I mean, like at Noxa, the pairs that work on me Rita's are a much different type of pair than the pair that's working on the other brands they're making in the factory. You know, they have to have a different skill set in order to be able to bunch Mikay Rita the way Mikay Rita is bunched. I couldn't just say, oh, I need more Mikay Rita, so take those eight pairs over there and here's the blend and show them what to do. No, it, it wouldn't work. Hmm. Those those pairs need to be trained appropriately to make Mikay Rita. It's also one of the reasons why I don't really like start and stopping things. I like to just get a pair that's making something all the time and they always make it day in, day out. They come to work, they roll, they roll Sober Mesa El Americanos. There's two pairs every day that that's all they've done for the last you know, like four years. And so, I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you get a much more consistent cigar. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So I had to go. I had to go. My dogs out. They're pawing at me. And uh, so, but you you just mentioned unicorn. Something I just thought about. Uh, uh, Steve and Jeff. Whatever happened to the unicorn event? Has that been rescheduled? I didn't know we ever had one scheduled. Did we ever have one? <laughs> Steve, you you had mentioned it to. Um, I think we, when we were we were talking on the phone one day. Uh, some Was kind of lying? I don't. Yeah, I don't. some kind of unicorn event with a uh, uh, Corona. You get a. It was like a I mean, hundred, like a hundred dollar event. Oh. Oh, more than that, cigars are hundred bucks. You know, yeah, but you said for like a hundred bucks, you were going to get I think, like a. I, think you know, was, I mean, look, Corona's the right type of store to do a, a unicorn event with a chubby unicorn and a horn of a dead unicorn. Our our problem is we're just both so busy that, look, if Jeff doesn't hassle me for an event, he ain't getting an event. Oh, okay. Just he's a he's a busy how to go. And the other thing <laughs> is Jeff's got everybody stroking him. 
for them to let him do an event in his stores, right? And I'm just trying, I'm trying to take stuff off my schedule. So <laughs> and, I mean, eventually, eventually we'll get around to it. Look, COVID really slowed things up. And then post-COVID, things have just been crazy. So there really hasn't been much time to do events. Just all right. This, no. just that being said, I'm doing an event this weekend. I'm starting, I'm doing an event this weekend, and then I'll be in Florida the next weekend, and I have an event there. So it, it's happening slowly, but uh, yeah. events, events, events are really challenging right now. There's yeah. just not enough time to do them. I, I know it's absolutely crazy. And so it just seems like uh, just when we were getting over everything, it was uh, 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 the, the new strain has come out and here we are. Um, uh, and then all the events, all the events got canceled. Yeah. It's brutal. So, so yeah. So you, so, mentioned, yeah, we did, we did. you mentioned event in my damn system. Went, as soon as you said the word event, <laughs> boom, Steve sent some kind of virus. Kicked me off so we don't yeah. ask for this event. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I bug Steve all the time for unicorns. End of the day, they you know, it's like, uh, and, and we just want more cigars. So uh, I, I, Steve should. Um, We've had this conversation. It's hard to do an event. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to do an event when there's not enough cigars coming in yet. But uh, it'll happen as soon as things level out. Yeah. So, um, um, so Steve, how many, how many blends are because of COVID and everything else, how many blends are you behind on, you know, like for, for like these private, these exclusives, you know, like, you know, like the grand. I've got, I've got, I've got right now four other commitments that nobody knows about. Okay. So, yeah. And of those four, one of them is finally in production. And the other three are just still kind of on hold, waiting for various items. All right. What, what about line extensions? Uh, you know, um, or, or retweaking of your current uh, current core lines? So I kind of got caught in a weird position. I probably should have not released something in 2021. The reason why I ended up releasing something in 2021 was I felt pressure because in January all the big companies were telling their big buyers that they were going to launch somewhere between five to seven new brands. So it looked like 2021 was going to be a year that was going to be full of new brands. That's the way it looked. And that's what ended up having me pull the trigger on Stillwell to do Stillwell in 2021. Had I known that by the time we got to July, that every company would have reconsidered and wasn't doing anything new, I would have made my life a lot easier to not try to do something for 2021. But you have to understand in any given year, whatever new products are, they always suck up quite a bit of the dollar value of the market. Okay. And I was basically just trying to fight to hold on to my share of whatever that was going to be. And one of the reasons why I decided to do Stillwell was because Stillwell was so uniquely different that hopefully it would cut through the noise of the other hundred new brands that everybody was going to be fighting for the way the schedule has worked. I won't be delivering still well to retailers until November, December. So for all practical purposes, other than somebody like Jeff, I'm going into their slow period. So really I think for a lot of retailers still well will count as a 2022 release and not as a 2021 release. So I think for next year, I have a few little projects 
but I think most of it's going to be just retrenching and figuring out, like, I still have never made enough brulee. I've never made enough umbagog. I've never made enough sincompromiso. I've never made enough unicorns. So I need to figure out how to get this a little bit more evened out, you know, so that we can, I think as a small company, we've done a really good job at getting our retailers product more frequently than a lot of the other companies, but we're not doing as good a job as we could be doing. And ultimately I, I think I, I think I need to solve that problem before I add another nightmare to my, to my I have a good portfolio. For the, you know, I was going to say, for the record, Steve earlier this year was was panicking, saying, there's going <laughs> to be so many new brands out of the PCA. They're going to be everywhere. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, Steve, that's not going to happen. And, uh, and uh, right, I, I would say that, that that didn't happen. And so uh, I I think that that, uh, that it was great for Steve to roll out uh, the, the new brands that he had because – it was the exact opposite. There was not a, a ton of noise uh, from, you know, typically when the PCA rolls around, there's, you know, there's at least, you know, 50 new brands that are out there and the market can't accept 50 new brands. So it's usually out of the 50, there's, there's, you know, 10 or 15 that are hits, but this year it was uh, much less. And, and so, um, you know, Steve's booth and his products are very, very popular. So he had lots of attention and uh, I think it was a great time to roll it out. Obviously, the products aren't aren't in the market yet, but when they will, I think they're going to be great. Now, now, Jeff, how how do you determine? Because I mean, you you've got I mean, your your shelves are packed. I mean, they are just packed. How do you determine like what what you're going to carry? Is it like Dunbar, like on the Stillwells? You know, is that like a given? You're going to stock the Stillwells yes. because it's Dunbarton. Yeah. It's a given. It's going to sell. Well, well, you have to figure where the attention is at in the in the industry, where where the attention for the uh, just in the oh, let's call it the buzz, right? And and Steve has been very very um, um, let's call it a, a hot uh, a company a brand, but at the same time, it's not by accident. I mean, he's putting out great products, and 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 Steve was during the during the the COVID shutdowns, there were a lot of companies that worked real hard on being in front of the consumer, uh, whether it's doing things like this or, or finding other ways to connect. So, so uh, you know, if, if Sokka comes out with something, you know that people are gonna hear about it, right? Um, if there's a brand that no one sees or hears and they put out this new one, well, it may look great, but it, you know, that, that information pipeline hasn't gotten to the consumer. So we're a little bit hesitant to bring that in because it's, uh, unless we think it's gonna sell, you gotta be real careful. Yeah, there, there were so many companies that, that I just couldn't believe didn't, you know, Steve really embraced, you know, the, the whole, I mean, you gave more interviews in the last year than you probably have in your life, but then I, could, I couldn't believe how many manufacturers didn't, they weren't doing interviews, they weren't on these virtual herbs, and I'm like, I, I know, you know, personally, a couple of them, like, you're, you're in your apartment, you're, you're not doing anything, how are you not online promoting and and then sometimes I go, look at Sokka's out there. You know, Sokka doesn't do anything, you know, and he's everywhere. Yeah, but part of it, too, has to do – sometimes there's some people, the more you hear from them, the less you like their brands. <laughs> it's not always – look, it's it's hard to have – I mean, I've, I've literally probably done hundreds of hours of conversations. 
And one of the things I like when I see the comments is when people say, wow, that's interesting, or I learned something new, or I gained some knowledge. And a lot of people on my end that do these type of things, they don't have the ability to do that because they don't have the experience. So that makes it very hard for them. And you see it when you see the guy talking about the new packaging and how it's more shelf friendly and how it's this or it's that. Uh, look, nobody wants to hear about shelf friendly. You know what I mean? People want to hear about tobacco. They want to hear about the process. They want to learn something new. They want to see me make an ass of myself and say something outrageous. You know, they want they want more than that average stick. And for a lot of people, it's tough. It's one thing when you're doing an event and you have this kind of pitter-patter that you do for an hour or two hours. It's an entirely different scenario when you're engaged and you have no clue what the questions are going to be, okay, and you're willing to talk about anything. And there's just not a lot of people that can talk about everything. So that's a, that's a tremendous advantage for me, you know, and, and that helps a lot. And I'm also very pretty on camera, if you guys haven't noticed. <laughs> yes. That's it. Now, now, now Jeff, like I said, we, 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 we'd ask Steve about, like, new blends, what's in the works. What, what about for you? Because, I mean, everybody knows you're, you know, you're, you're in these, these distilleries. You're picking out your bourbons. You're, you know, the, you know, has it been tough on you for COVID? How, how you know, what are you testing? How, you know, has this, how far has it set you behind on these limited releases that, that you do specifically for Corona? So it slowed us way up at the same time. The ones that come out, you're able to focus on more because you don't have too many things hitting the pipeline at once, which is, is sort of a, um, a problem that we have. It's like we were talking the other day with our guys about social media and for like for us, content is not a problem because we've got so, believe it or not, we've got more content that we actually cover because of the, you know, the different single barrel whiskey projects we are constantly working on, the different cigars coming out. Um, and yeah, COVID slowed that up. I and mean, we still have a, we still have a 25th anniversary cigar that hasn't hit the market yet. It's coming out of JC Newman factory. And hopefully that's going to arrive in the next, uh, next month or so. And we got another charity cigar that we're doing for a, a fraternity that, that, that I'm in um, to raise money for scholarships. And so we got a lot of cool stuff coming on. And yeah, COVID slowed it up, but that's all right. We're, it, it allows us to be a little more focused when things come out. So um, it, on the whiskey side, listen, bourbon is also a boom, right? Uh, and there are shortages of that. But what happened on the big companies is they, they had people working from home on a lot of stuff. And, and so that has slowed. You, you, you can't do these, these barrel selections as easy when, they're, when they've shut the single barrel programs down. But uh, things are coming back online and, and we got a lot of cool stuff uh, uh, hitting hitting the market. Usually, you know, every month or something new that we're that we're we're focusing on. Yeah, yeah. Kara's been working on his bourbon selections from home as well. So uh, those, are, <laughs> those, those are those those are going quite well. You know, just just scotches, bourbons, yeah, yeah, scotches, bourbons, uh, a little bit of uh, everything. <laughs> so so J C Newman is it Pensa that that's doing the the, the Corona twenty fifth, or is it out of yes. uh, a J- so that'll be okay. out. No, so you've got the American that, that they roll in uh, that you know you got a chance to do the tour of the factory. Oh um, yeah, Steve, if you're if you if you get a chance when you're in Tampa, go check out the the Drew Newman. Really, man, really they they. I, I haven't been in it since the renovations. So. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. 
And that was elite. That was, that was an interesting thing that, you know, that's a generational company and, uh, you know, that was Drew's vision. Eric didn't, Eric wasn't, uh, he's like, Drew, I'll trust you with this. I don't know if we should do this, but, uh, Drew's like, no, this is what we need to do. And it's been super successful. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, things like that, um, the, the Pensa factory, once again, boxes, the cigars have been rolled. Here's a, there's one good thing about the box delays. It allows cigars that hit the market right now. These things are aged and uh, there's no rushing of the cigars that are going in the boxes. So that's really good one. The stuff that the, the, like when our 25th comes out with the it's got FSG in the blend and that cigar was rolled back in January. So the boxes were never meant to be aged a year. My plan was to release them last year, so right, now that helps. It, it's so now, now the Paladins have—they're going to have a full year of age on them before they hit the shelf. And now, what was a thorn in my side is now going to become a feature, right? <laughs> because yeah, uh, you know, so so there, there, there's a, it's a double-edged sword. So now, like Jeff, you know, they they've got some age on there, and now now do you get to make that decision going forward? Are they always going to have some age, or are now you know? Because that may change the, the taste a little bit. Kevin, that's an awesome question. Because uh, what we did, for example, with our 25th, um, we placed the second order um, two months ago. So we've already got the other order in production. So when this gets filled, these other ones will have the same amount of age. So, yeah, that, that's a great point. But here's the thing, though. That means you're confident that that brand is going to sell through and be successful. But for, for us, with our, with our Corona-branded cigars, whether it's the, the one that Oliva makes or Aganorsa makes or this one that, that J.C. Newman makes, they always sell for us. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a great value to the customers, and, and we know that they, that we know we're going to sell them. And so we can confidently have them roll a bunch of these cigars. And so you're, right. you're committing cash to a product that hasn't even hit the market yet, but knowing it's going to so, but that's because yeah, you're directly a, connected to the consumer, Jeff. You have that ability. Yes, you know that within 100%. your four stores and your website and your catalog that you have so much market that you can get them to try something. You know, where for me, every time I release something, it's always a bit of a gamble. You don't know what's going to fly or not fly. And 100%. I don't. So you wouldn't want to do that on a new brand if you don't know if it's going to work, right? So then, because then you'll get stuck and. And that has happened many times in the industry. So when you see us selling closeouts, that's what that was. It was a miscalculation, miscalculation, but it just didn't sell the way it did. And so then, you know, that's how we end up with closeout cigars. So, yeah, of course, it's a risky move on most brands. But for us, in this case, it's not a matter of keeping that pipeline in the future flowing. Just like San Compromiso. This is going to sell. It's not like it's something that no one's ever had before. The line sells, right? Great cigar, great manufacturer. We know that, yeah. that what comes in the box is a great product. So you have confidence in that. But, uh, you know, there are new line extensions that even we see that if we're iffy that they may, might not sell even before we put them in the store, why would you put a, a factory start making? Let me ask you this, Jeff. How many flyers do you take where you just like you give some guy out of the blue, whoever it may be, a shot on their new Don whatever. Do you do, you do that very often anymore? I mean, yeah, I know like in the I, so uh, Howard Grums, a, a customer in our, in our uh, Sand Lake store, 
Last yeah. year he started with cigars. He's got a cigar called Black Moses. I told he's got several others, and, he's, and he has lots of other athletes and stuff. But I, I, I smoked the cigar. It's great. And I don't think I've even had cigars from the factory before. But um, I, we always try to give people a shot. And there's certain – I can kind of tell what's going to work um, based on the, the factors between the cigar, the packaging, and the guy behind it, how much hustle he has. How hard is it going to work to move the brand? And so um, uh, another good one, you know, there, we have a, a local guy, uh, a Z, that makes the, the Cordoba and Morales cigars. And he does Fantastic. A, a, a Finca yeah. Santa Fe. Yeah, so that's a guy from Orlando, a Cuban guy that, that started out as, you know, one man show. It was probably 10 years ago that he started. But so we do, I call those like little, little seed companies. We want to help them grow. But if we can tell if they've got what it what it's going to take to make you know where they're going to sell through we're all about it but we have to be very cautious because you know one out of ten of those brands actually makes it because um it's sort of like what you said steve if somebody gets on the show and all that they can bring to the table is let's talk about a a shelf and box or whatever the depth isn't there to make it when somebody walks into corona cigar and there's a gazillion brands right the main question has to be asked, why is that guy going to pick up this new brand over these hundreds of tried and true brands that the customer's right. already bought and knows he enjoys? So unless there's something to make that that guy pick up that cigar, which in some cases, I'll tell this story, that when Liga Pravada started, it was Steve Saka sitting at a table. I remember at the Heathrow store, walking in, handing people cigars that had a little handwritten thing on it. Right. Yeah. That, believe it or not, was an organically grown cigar, I meaning not organic tobacco, but organically grown right. like, you know, from one stick at a time. Right. Yes. Now, look what that what that brand has developed into. So there was a, a lot of hard work that went into building that brand into what it was. And so if you see that a company is willing to do that. Um, because a lot of people are have really, uh, they they kind of miss what it takes. They they don't understand how hard it is to grow, especially a new brand. It's so so hard. And, uh, and 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 if I can see that the guy knows that going into it, that he's willing to grind this thing out for. Some brands don't. This may sound crazy. Some brands take ten years to really catch on. I think how ten many years guys is the normal. I think ten years is the normal trip right? point. Actually, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Brands become successful. Brands that ultimately will be successful, those companies tend to start hitting their pay. They start to hit their pace at about the 10 year mark. It's no different than with Drew. I mean, think about it. It was like, so starting how many guys are willing to do that? It was 2008 before we started to actually like move some real serious, serious weight of cigars. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. And I think, and I think you're right. That hustle factor. It's it's really really important. I know everybody says they'll do it, but the reality is they don't. They won't. It's uh, it's pretty yeah, miserable. You're, you're right. So, Carrie, you've got another seven years to go to hit your. I'm stride, looking forward so. to those uh, next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, Kev. you know, yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, you know, but but you're right on that, Steve. Like, so yeah. I I've, I've interviewed so many people and and been to events with so many uh, boutique makers that that are saying that they're willing to do this. They want to hustle. They want to do this. They want to do this, and then it's like. They don't, they don't even make a website, you know. Here's, here's the problem that happens when you're new and you start getting some buzz, it's very easy to get the next account. 
Yeah. The problem is sales don't count when you're selling them to new customers. Okay. The question is, do the customers who bought it before, are they seeing turns on that product? Because turns are ultimately what makes the difference. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you right now, Jeff was one of my first customers for Dunbutton Tobacco. But I guarantee you, my brand probably barely survived on his shelf probably for the first three years. It was like, it was selling, but Jeff's my friend and he's kind of like willing to stick it out and let it go. And I wasn't a total douchebag about it. Never <laughs> tried to get him to sell more or force him to sell more. Like, why aren't you selling more? Understanding that I always knew that it was going to take time. And then the next hurdle that you have to get over is first you have to get a brand that turns for your existing retailers. Cause we lost a lot of those retailers in the first couple of years that originally adopted the brand. Now, the thing that's nice for me is I now see those same retailers coming back and starting over again because now the brand has some legs and they now have people coming into the store and asking for it and bringing their phone in with an Instagram picture of a band or something. So it, it's starting to change. So the next hurdle is how do you go from being that geek brand to get to the consumer that is never going to be the geek consumer? Can you make that next jump? Okay. And that's a really tough jump. And you'll see a lot of companies and you'll see how hot and how buzzworthy they are. And you, and I'm not going to name names. I'll let you guys figure out who the names are. <laughs> just think in your head who was like super uber hot three, four, five years ago. Yeah. And they're now just completely dead. They were never able to figure out how to make that transition. They never were able to have a brand that was actually turning for the retailers that they had already sold it to on a consistent basis to actually grow. They were essentially just getting new accounts that was fueling all their growth. And eventually you just run out of new accounts to be gotten. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And at that point, there's not much you can do about it. And I think that most people in our business, they don't understand branding and they don't understand the business strategy. And they also lack the dedication and the misery that's going to be necessary in those in that first decade, because it's not it's not easy for anybody. I mean, look, uh, I would say Christian Oroa was on the ropes until Asylum hit, right? Now, yeah. Chris have afforded to keep doing what he was doing forever? Probably so. You know what I mean? But really, Asylum for him was kind of the tipping point, right? And Asylum is probably what kind of like started to get him some penetration. And then what ended up happening is you notice CLE on the back end then started to become more popular because now retailers were able to turn Asylum that it then allowed them to go, okay, well, what else do you have? And, and as you can see, CLE is now on the upswing too. But prior to Asylum, it wasn't. He needed that inflection point to make that happen. You know, and, and, I, I, think, and I, I think it's really, it's really hard. And the other thing that's really difficult is it's very rare as a small company to ever have something that's consistent and sells well. What you tend to do is you tend to move from this is your newest, current, hottest, and it basically supplants all the sales that you've had on your previous. And ultimately, that doesn't work either because really what you want is you want your cigar to be something that someone adds to their rotation and smokes on the regular, and they then become a consistent buyer of it. That's the only way brands actually grow, and that's the reason why ultimately almost all brands fail. I would say, I mean, look, historically, if you want to go back to the 1900s, there have been over 340,000 cigar brands introduced in the United States since 1900, God. right? 340,000. 
Okay, in a normal PCA RTDA year, there will typically be somewhere between 300 to 500 new releases, albeit 2021 wasn't that way, but there's a lot. I mean, Jeff said 100 because that's the 100 that catches his eye. But for everyone that catches his eye, there's three or four others that they're not even on his radar screen, you know, that he never even gets a whiff of. It's uh, it's 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 very hard. And you also like if you go back and you look at like a lot of bloggers top tens, go look at the top tens from 2012, 2013, 2014. I guarantee you that at least half of those brands that were in their top tens, they don't even exist on the shelf at all anymore. Yeah. I mean, they've been completely closed out. Getting a brand to actually catch is tough. So let me let me give an example of a of a brand that took a while to catch on, like Aladino. When that cigar first got presented to me, I was like, "Man, this is going to be a little tough because the packaging isn't great, the I name know. no one's heard, but the story in the in the cigar that that cigar is." is the same cigar of the original Camacho, and it's amazing. And unless you know the story of the Euroas and and, and how uh, Christian's father, you know, this is when you grow your tobacco and you, and and he really doesn't need any money, he can he can really put his attention into just having great tobacco and great cigars. That's why he's doing it, right? So when we brought that brand in, I knew it would sell once people discovered it, but I knew the discovery process was going to take two to three years. Which is what it did. I, I mean, the brand's probably been out five years now, yeah. and it's and it's it, five. And it, it started, started catching it. about two years ago, right? And and so that means there was three years that it was it was slow. But um, why did we bring that in? Because I I could tell this is gonna this this is gonna become a, a good yeah. But part of the reason why you bring that in too is because you know Husto, you know what I mean, you know Chris's dad. You know the history. You you've seen past performance. You know what I mean. So it's not like somebody that's like just going to Nicaragua and getting a brand jobbed for them, right? I mean, those are a dime a dozen. There's so many just jobbed brands in the marketplace where the person who's the front man on the brand really doesn't have a lot of interaction with the actual product. He pretty much is acting like you do as a consumer. He's just trying a whole bunch of different things until he finds something that he likes. He says, okay, this is the one. You know what I mean? And then that becomes a brand. And look, in an era where there used to be a time where there was never a point where the consumer ever talked to the manufacturer, much less ever talked to somebody that knew anything about farming or factory operations or anything. Now there's such an exchange of information that it makes the brand have greater value when you have someone that can communicate with more depth of knowledge. And that is particularly true with this particular consumer group, because for whatever fault we want to talk about millennials, the one thing about millennials is they tend to research things. Okay. They tend to want to make a conscious buying decision about why they drink this liquor, why they go to this restaurant, why they smoke this cigar. And that really works well for brands and products that there's actually some history with or some expertise that's being conveyed. Uh, the deeper that pool of knowledge that that consumer can find via Google helps them a long way. It makes a big, big difference. 
Oh, oh, for 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 sure. And uh, and and speaking of the CLE, I, I can't wait to go down to Miami and find some of the. Ever since the theft, you know, there's going to be some 770 Cohiba Bahikes being sold down in uh, my, Miami. You know, rebranded. Re, re, re I cannot wait to show a picture of a 770 or an 880 Bahike that nobody else can get. You know? <laughs> so uh, absolutely crazy. So. Um, I know we've been on for almost two and a half hours tonight. Um, wow. We definitely want to. Uh, I know I, it's it's a pretty a pretty light night, Steve and Jeff. I, I figured we were going to go uh, uh, quite long, but uh, um, well, we do want to uh, uh, wrap things up. So to keep the replays, you know, pe people keep them engaged. So we want to have a, a giveaway. Um, so um, um, as we all do at the end of every show. So Care has. 1,000 individually named white doves that he is going to... No, I'm just kidding. We're not We're not that show that does that. Um, <laughs> everybody what, are start, the, what am I going to do with these doves? Yeah, yeah. Now you got to get rid of the doves. <laughs> everybody start typing in the word cigar. We make it easy for everybody. Just start, type, start typing in the word cigar while we hear a word from our sponsor, Corona Cigar. So, all right, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're going to give away, we got an FSG hat. We have got a couple of Grand Elefantes. Uh, we have got a, 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 a six-pack, one, two, three, four, six-pack of Corona cigars. That includes a couple of those, uh, the 20th anniversary cigars that Steve was talking about with the white band. That is absolute Jessica's, one of her favorite cigars. That was actually her number one cigar two years ago. And I still remember she had said that Corona Cigar 20th Anniversary Nicaragua is the cigar that all cigars, that's the standard. All cigars should be held to that standard of the cigar. And there's probably not a single cigar she smokes more of than that 20th Anniversary Nicaraguan. It's a fantastic cigar. So everybody look that cigar up. Even Steve likes that cigar, and he doesn't like FSG. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, so we, we've got the uh, the, the ashtray, um, and then so we got everybody uh, typing in the word uh, cigar. So, all right, so we're gonna uh, uh, share my screen real quick, and we're gonna pick a winner for tonight's uh, um, giveaway. Um, Let's see. Care, can you see the screen? Can do. All right. So we're just going to type in the word cigar. We make it nice and easy to give stuff away here. So we're going to collect all the uh, the comments, 35 entries. And who's going to win tonight? So it's just Manny. Manny never wins. Oh, right on. He, uh, um, uh, he uh, 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 chimes in every week, always comments, and Manny never wins anything. So uh, congratulations, Manny. He won big tonight. Yep, uh, Kevin at CigarProp.com. Send me an email with your mailing address, and we'll get you uh, your, your prize pack out. Uh, remember, if you want the new Grand Alfonte, uh, it's in the uh, the show description below. If you want to find Steve Saka, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust on the websites, all the social medias, description below. Same with Jeff uh, and Corona Cigar. 
Everything is in the social media below. Cigar Prop Caribbeahante with Stogie Road Cigars. Everything is in the description below. Um, so I just want to thank you guys for coming on and uh, and hanging out with us for two and a half hours of your uh, Saturday night. That's fantastic. Thank you, Kevin and Care. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve, for doing this too. Um, wonderful cigar. I'm down to the nub. I got paid. <laughs> yeah, I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's it. My, my job to make cigars that's the way it works that that that, that is the way it works so uh, all right we're gonna leave everybody uh with another word from corona cigar